Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Yeah, let's. Ah, I'm still readjusting. I can't believe it. I'm way back from my microphone. Let me try this again here. Yeah, still readjusting. All right, hang on. I have one of the crazy office chairs that just never lines up with the desk properly. I got to move my desk back a little further. Let's try that. (laughs) There's always a way to do this. All right. So we're off to a good start, I can tell. Um, Today's going to be interesting. Today is very, uh, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on uh, during the show. There's a lot going on after the show. This is a big day in action radio. Um, So I can start, well, let's let's start with the the fun stuff. uh, And that's going to be after the show. So tonight, Around uh, 5.30, uh, Matt Gates, uh, my congressman here in the 1st District of Florida, has a town hall meeting. So let me give you all the details in case you want to show up. Because i got something planned. I'm, I'm not going to tell you what, <laughs> because that would, just in case it doesn't work out. But i got something planned. Uh, first of all, I'm going to be there. And my big uh, reason for being there is I want to present to Matt Gates in front of everybody. Because he's already got the bill. In fact, he's had it for over a year, because I wrote it over a year ago. And that's our constitutional amendment to uh, take away the power of Congress to borrow money. And I just got a comment. It was really funny. It's so predictable, too. I put this on Peter Navarro's uh, site. In fact, I put it several times on his site, J.D. Rucker's, some of the other, you know, great Substack people. And so uh, I put it on saying, look, the only way out of this is a constitutional amendment taking away the power of Congress to borrow money. You know, and uh, people go, yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's always a skeptic. And, And I know a lot of people think this way. In fact, millions of people think this way. So someone posted a comment. And they said, well, does it include a provision to be able to borrow money uh, in the case of a war? And I think to myself, why would you want to borrow money in case of a war? (laughs) No, it doesn't. Uh, By design. That's that's crazy. That's the whole problem is that uh, borrowing money kept us in in Afghanistan for 20 years, kept us in Iraq for 30 years, uh, has kept us all over the place. I mean, Vietnam, Korea. Uh, any of the other places we've been, Bosnia, you, you know, Ukraine, it's all done on borrowed money. So if you stop Congress from borrowing money, you stop stupid wars. Now, if, if a war is that necessary, um, then we should be able to fight it, you know, savings. Besides, wars are pretty quick these days. It's not like World War II, where we, we basically had a very small military at the beginning of World War II. So one of the reasons that we borrowed money is the fact that we needed a military. Okay, well, now we've got a military. We've got a huge military. Uh, we've got the biggest military in the world. So if we had the biggest military in the world, why would we have to borrow money to make it bigger? You just don't have to do that. You take money from stupid things. We spent $7 trillion on COVID that didn't have to be spent, and that was borrowed money. We spent, uh, what, probably 5 or $6 trillion on infrastructure that didn't have to be spent. That was borrowed money. You know, $6 trillion for Afghanistan. I don't know how many trillion for Iraq. So you're probably looking at, you know, several trillion dollars Multiple trillion dollars, what, maybe $15, $20 trillion over the last uh, 20 or 30 years for all these stupid things that the government's done, none of which had to happen. So basically, we've borrowed, you know, $20 trillion plus dollars for nothing, and now the, deficit, now the, the national debt's over $32 trillion. It's going to get a lot higher. It's going to be uh, $38 trillion by uh, Election Day uh, next year. Well, that's crazy. So you've got to stop these people. These people have a pathological obsession with spending money. They, they're addicted to it. They, they can't stop themselves. They're like serial killers. We have to stop them. We have to stop them. And the way that we stop them is we take away their power to borrow money by taking it out of the Constitution. 
and all these little wimps and weenies and whiny people that come along and say, well, what about a pandemic? We need to borrow, you know, we, we borrowed $7 trillion to, to fight COVID. No, you didn't. You borrowed $7 trillion to make Pfizer and uh, Dr. Fascist and the health Nazis and big tech rich. That's what, that's what you borrowed money for. You didn't need to borrow money to fight COVID. We already had the cures at the beginning of COVID, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, vitamin D3, vitamin C, and zinc. What's hydro, hydroxychloroquine was what, 20 cents a tablet? You know, the government had more than enough money without borrowing any to give everybody in this country several hydroxychloroquine tablets. Zinc is easy. That's a supplement. You can buy that over the counter. Vitamin D3, vitamin C, same thing. Well, drink orange juice. <laughs> you know, I mean, simple stuff like this. All right, so the cure for COVID was the First Amendment. The First Amendment was always the cure for COVID because the First Amendment would have allowed for the free uh, access of information for people not only to save the information, but for others to get it. Okay? So the First Amendment, uh, we don't talk about this a whole lot, but the First Amendment implies not only the right to speak, but the right to be heard and the right to hear what people are speaking. And both of those things were gotten rid of during COVID. So that's what killed people. What killed people was a lack of the First Amendment because they were told that they need to go on the remdesivir ventilator death march, and they died. You know, and the people that got hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, and uh, you know, uh, vitamin D3, vitamin C, vitamin Zinc lived. Now, obviously, some people died regardless. And some people lived <laughs> despite the treatment. Some people lived despite being put on the remdesivir ventilator death match, and God bless them for living. Uh, some people died, of course, because they were probably going to die anyway. Um, but ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine have been around for 60 years and are proven safe and effective, contrary to the COVID jab, which is not. And so the reason that people died was because uh, they, we didn't have our freedom. We didn't have our First Amendment. Uh, we didn't have our Fourth, Fifth, and Sixth, and uh, Seventh Amendment either. I mean, COVID stripped this country of all kinds of amendments, and the governors will, willingly went along with it. The local politicians willingly went along with it. Um, Dr. Fascist and the health Nazis happily said, well, we're just making recommendations, but you're not bound by them. People did it anyway because they thought they were. The judges went along with it. The military went along with it. The government policies went along with it. Corporations went along with it. Everybody went along with it. Now people are paying the price. I, I was just watching a, uh, the Pussycat Dolls uh, singer who's paralyzed and, or partially and has, having all kinds of neurological health problems. She took the Moderna jab. You know, and so in, in Europe, and Marco just joined us, Marco, they've got the, they had the AstraZeneca jab. So what's going on now? Uh, you know, uh, how, how are folks doing there with the jab? You know, I mean, it's crazy what's going on. But the, the reason that people died was because we didn't have our First Amendment. We didn't have the free access of information. Freedom was the cure for COVID. It always was the cure for COVID. Like I, I, I published that in a substack, gregpengles.substack.com. The cure for COVID was freedom. It always was. The nations that locked down the most, the states that locked down the most had the most deaths. The states that mandated the most vaccines are suffering the most health, health consequences for obvious reasons. You know, the COVID jab is, is, is not a vaccine. It's not safe. It's not effective. It's genetic modified, you know, spike proteins creating all kinds of problems. And people died, it turns out now, uh, on the, the remdesivir ventilator death march from bacterial pneumonia, which they weren't treating because they're trying to treat COVID, which they didn't have. <laughs> you know, COVID's not that big a deal. Most people get over COVID a lot more easily than, uh, you know, even some harsh colds and the flu. Although they're all coronavirus, it's all the same family. It's quite fascinating. Anyway. Let me get back to Matt Gates because talking about him, I didn't get the details of, of the meeting tonight. So after the show, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do, probably play guitar, <laughs> you know, but it's uh, 530 tonight, and that's Central Time, at Scott's Outdoors in Jay, Florida, which is our agricultural northern part of Santa Rosa County, Florida, which is in the top northwest corner of the state of Florida next to Alabama. 
Uh, in fact, some of us call uh, some some people call us Southern Alabama. It's kind of interesting. Anyway, uh, that's going to be at Scott Outdoors, three eight nine eight Highway Four in J. Uh, it's open to local constituents in Florida's first con- congressional district. That would be me, and local news media. That would also be me. Well, actually, I'm international, worldwide news media, but that's beside the point. I'm still going to go. Uh, and so, what I want to do is introduce publicly uh, my bill, Action Radio's bill, a constitutional amendment to take away the power of Congress to borrow money. And that's what I've been talking about just the last few minutes. That is earth-shattering. That will that will be world news in about five minutes if uh, Matt Gates decides to adopt it and share it with everybody else. If he doesn't decide to adopt it and share it with everybody else, I'm still going to broadcast it because it is the solution. I don't think anything else comes close. And in fact, I'm the only one talking about it, but um, I, there's not, um, no one's proposing anything other than throwing their hands up and going, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And like an old two-year-old screaming, what do we do? Oh no, help. I'm doomed. Or the, the, the lost in space, you know, Dr. Smith, doomed, doomed. We're all doomed. And we're not doomed. This is, still, this is still fixable. This is still curable. We can still stop Congress from borrowing money. We just have to delete one line in the Constitution that says Congress you know, has the power to borrow money on the credit of the United States. We just delete that sentence and so the Congress does not have the power to borrow money on the credit of the United States. That's it. It's, it's literally that simple. Now, there's some other stuff, too, and I'm not going to go into it right now. I've done it a bunch of other times. But literally, that is the main thrust of this is we're deleting about 10 words from the Constitution. Where it says Congress shall have the power to borrow money on the credit of the United States. Well, so if Congress wants to borrow money on, without the credit of the United States, they want to go to a bank and make a loan. Okay, go for it. I don't care. You want to borrow it privately? Good luck. You want to go to China and suck up to them and uh, have direct loans from China? <laughs> Good luck with that. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying the Congress can't. Well, of course, they can't do anything that's not authorized by the Constitution. So basically, this would take away their borrowing power, which would make them fiscally responsible. No emergency clause, no special exemption for war, no exemption for pandemics, no exemptions for national emergencies. Those are just escape clauses that defeat the whole purpose of the amendment. If you put in an escape clause, you might as well not do it. There's no point in having a constitutional amendment to take away the power of Congress to borrow money if you have an escape clause where they will use that day one. It'll never expire. They will declare an emergency day one uh, if this constitutional amendment takes effect, and it will be effectively useless. That's how they're going to get around it. So you can't do that. All right. Next topic in the news. I should have like a like a news break. Next topic. I, I need I need to play like my theme. I'm gonna start doing that. Let me see if I can. Let me. Uh, uh, where's where's my theme? Theme 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 theme. Um. So next topic in the news, uh, there was a citation uh, business jet, although it's privately owned, uh, that crashed in Washington. And I've got uh, stories, I've got videos, I've got uh, all kinds of stuff on it. Uh, what it looks like to me is that the pilot died of a COVID shot. Oh, gee, Greg, how come you the only one says that? Because I'm the only one with most things, but I'm usually proven right. <laughs> you know, I was right about COVID, you know, being curable, and that uh, the government response was a total hoax. I was right about uh, Mike Pence making a deal with the devil to sink Trump so that he could get the 2024 nomination. You know, I'm, I'm, you know my, my average, my political instincts are pretty good. Uh, so I'm right about a lot of things. And it's, it's really quite fascinating um, to, to see that. Let me see what we've got. Uh, all right, that's, 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 uh, where, where, let me get my stories on um, 
I got a bunch of stories on the airplane, so let me just give you some some uh, little little tidbits here, and then I'll give you my story. Oh, voting rights. We're going to talk about that, too. Uh, let's go to New York Post, which says, this is from June, uh, when, they, when they put this article here. Uh, June 4th. Okay, David Proper, Ali Griffin, and Ronnie Rays. Apparently, no one person can write an article for the New York Post. They have, to have like three people every time. It says, a sonic boom was heard across Washington, D.C. Uh, on the afternoon when military jets raced after an unresponsive private plane that crossed into restricted airspace and later crashed, killing all four people on board. Yeah, that's pretty sad. And it really is. You know, as, as a flight instructor, uh, as someone that loves aviation, as someone that, you know, as soon as the show gets big enough, I'm buying a jet. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, this is pretty tragic. But one thing I learned from my flight instruction days, most uh, accidents are preventable. There's, uh, there's something in, in uh, for people that study accidents or study disasters, or study uh, engineering disasters, or things like that. There's usually a, uh, a chain of about seven events, and there's a chain. And if the chain is broken by any, any place along the way in those seven events, then the accident doesn't happen. And so you look at bridges, you know, the the decision to make a bridge, the decision not to test the harmonics of the bridge, the decision, you know, I'm thinking of this Seattle Tacoma Narrows Bridge, the collapse because the the wind set up a harmonic vibration that vibrated the bridge so much it crashed, it, it, it collapsed. Uh, this citation jet, I got Pianca in the line too, yeah, it really drove me on this one. Um, so you've got a jet where the pilot is apparently incapacitated, and I don't think it was that high a level. I mean, they were flying about 23,000 feet, not that high. You know, you can pressurize pretty low. Usually jets in the 30,000-foot level are pressurized about 8,000 feet. So it, it is an oxygen-depleted environment. As I have said, if you're pressurizing to 8,000, you're looking at about 15% oxygen as opposed to 22% at sea level. So you're already at partial pressure. So if, you, if you're stupid enough to wear a mask, if you're a passenger, you're lowering your oxygen even lower, and that's why people pass out on airplanes, especially if they drink. So if you drink, wear a mask, and uh, fly an airplane, you know, uh, and a passenger, yeah, you're going to be a, a good chance you'll be sleeping. Then it says the deafening boom rang out when two 16 fighter jets were scrambled from joint base standards. It's not as joint base. What is it? Marines, Navy, Air Force? Is everybody there? Anyway, we'll find out. Uh, then it says residents, I don't care, F-16s were deployed after a private Cessna flew into restricted airspace over the Capitol before it crashed in southwest Virginia. Okay. So then they have horrible pictures of um, the airplane, pictures of the family. I want to get a flight path, and that's what it's really. Let me bring Pianca in. I'll, I'll get to my other story here. Apparently, um, oh, here we go. There's another one. The U.S. did a really detailed story on this. But Pianchi, being a fellow pilot, let's bring him on and uh, see what his take is. Pianchi, good morning. Oh, I really like that uh, Walter, Walter Cronkite-style press-running news calling that you have. It's good. <laughs> yeah, I found that. I got the sound effects uh, program that I use. And every once in a while, I delve into it and uh, try and find new things. That's how I get my uh, my closing commercial uh, classical music, you know, the jazz thing, all all the productions that you hear me do, all the things that I make up, uh, even your own, you know, Pianki's picture, perfect face saving shaving cream. Those all come from a um, from a sound, a, a non copyright sound music service. And so I take those and then I just you know add my own vocals on top of it, produce it on my Adobe Audition program, and that's how they come out. But this one I. I just, you know, put it into the system, just uploaded it uh, right in. So uh, all that uh, that wonderful work I did at Loney College in Fremont, California, before I left for Florida, uh, where they taught me radio production. Thank you very much. I'm using those skills every day. So don't don't uh, deny yourself community colleges. They're great, or or junior colleges, or whatever they call them. But uh, those two-year colleges mm-hmm. have some great courses. You know, you can go anytime. I was 15 years old when I went. 
No, it's 56. I'm sorry. 56 years old. So I'm in a class of like 18 and 19 year olds learning radio production, right? And they, they sort of felt a little weird the first week, but by the second week, I was just a student. I was a regular student. And I felt completely comfortable, you know, with the kids. And I think I was older than the teacher or, or close to it. <laughs> anyway, it didn't really matter. Point was, I was 56 years old, you know, going back to school. And because of that, I can do all these cool things now on Action Radio that they taught me at, uh, and I want to give the credit to Ohlone College. That's O-L-O-H-N-E, Ohlone College, Fremont, California. Thank you very much. Appreciate the help. Back to you, Pianchi. <laughs> yeah, you were talking about the incapacitated crew. What altitude was they at? Uh, well, I, I think, think they pretty much seven. Well, I just, I just found a video right before the show, uh, 23 they were cleared to 34, but I don't think they made it up that high. I don't think you want to fly that high in, a, in assessing a citation anyway, because they're not that powerful. You know, they call the, there's, he says, the, the 23, you say? Yeah. And it's not that high for pressurization. Yeah. I mean, it is. It's high. Obviously, neutralization above, uh, ideally above 10, but above 12.5 is where it's required. Um, but uh, let me see and if I can uh, see if I get some more details. Yeah. So, U.S. Really has a defect. Uh, no, you know, I think it was. It, yeah. Well, that was a problem. Could have popped on his his uh, oxygen mask. They all have it. They have what they call a quick dying oxygen mask. It takes about two seconds. It's right there on on the seat. Well, Just was, pull it right over your head. If it was equipped with that, yeah, but uh, they did now. Well, here's here's the the problem. I just watched the video, like I say, right before this, from a guy who's obviously a pilot uh, was talking about the pilot was incapacitated. They couldn't raise him. I don't think it was that high. I think it was like twenty three thousand feet. But what I think it was, and I'm going to go on a limb here. No one, of course, is talking about this. I think it was a COVID shot. You know how pilots have been incapacitated? They've had to return. The airliners, several airliners across the world have had to cancel their flights and fly back because either the pilot, either the captain or the first officer was incapacitated. And they don't tell you why, but, you know, it's almost guaranteed to be a COVID shot. Were they both so, at the same time? No, no. See, there, there was only one pilot. This guy didn't have a co-pilot. He was flying it himself, which you can do. No, he didn't have a citation. Nope. Cessna citations are authorized for single pilot operations. I don't think it's a smart idea when you're over a certain age. So when I get over a certain age, you know, I'm going to have some hotshot youngster, you know, up, up on the flight deck with me of my jet, simply because once you get old, stuff happens. And recognizing that is a responsible thing to do. You know, besides, by, by that yeah, time, we'll be so famous, everybody's going to want to fly you, with me. <laughs> What's that? If you're flying for recreation on your own, then you have to ask yourself, is the cost prohibited? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of questions that can be raised and, was there any passengers on? No, it was three passengers, and then they died. Yeah. So here's what happened. The right engine ran out of fuel, and then the left engine still had fuel, and then the plane started yawing, as you would expect, even though it's a jet. You know, it's, it's not, the, the centerline thrust is pretty close on a jet. It's not like a, a propeller plane with the engines out on the wings. But uh, the, the left so engine was, was still going, and it entered a – what's that? I said it must have been west of Washington, uh, D.C., for it to yaw into the White House area. To, in the, no, in the it, it yawed to the right. Area. 
it, you nod to the right because the left engine still had power and the right engine ran out of gas because they have two separate tanks. The guy was explaining, Citations have, uh, have uh, separate fuel tanks for each engine. So the left tank has, uh, yeah. goes to the left engine. The right tank goes to the right engine. There's no crossfeed. There's no... Yeah, it would have yawed no, to the right. It would have right. to the right. It means that it they would have been west of the White House. No. Yaw to the right, you would have been... Uh, what side of the White House did they... Uh, Oh, okay. All right. I don't. I don't know. I'm still. Let's look down here and check. Uh, as far as I know, I know it yawed to the right. This is what the guy described. So I don't know where it was exactly. I didn't. You know, this, this, I didn't quite get the whole video that I showed it to. Yeah, it was probably, uh, if it was flying to avoid the red area, they probably mm-hmm. and they wouldn't have been over the ocean if you yawed to the right. So they would have been over the land or the west and yawed into Washington D.C. Well. If, Here's the way the guy explained it. it was well, supposed anyway, to he did now. Yeah, yeah, he did no, now. Well, what we, we, we should do is get an autopsy and find out if he, if he had a COVID jab and blood clots blocking his uh, his system. That's what I would want to know. But what they're saying is mm-hmm. that uh, Cessna uh, – okay, so they – all right, here. So paragraph 16, fighter jets tried and failed to contact the unresponsive pilot of a private Cessna jet that wandered into restricted airspace Sunday. Cessna later lost altitude and crashed in rural Virginia. It is not known yet why the plane was over Washington. Okay, so here's what happened. They say a loss of cabin pressure. So the pilot that did the analysis on the, on the video said, no, it wasn't a loss of cabin pressure. The pilot was incapacitated. Now, they don't know why. I think it was a COVID shot. And I'll, I'll speculate that because so many pilots have become incapacitated on airliners and they've had to return, but they normally have two pilots and this plane didn't. And so what they're saying was that the uh, he had the um, – the waypoints. All right, so let me explain to folks that are non-aviation what goes on. So you can, you can, they have autopilots. And what you can do um, is pick places, you know, in space and lock them into your autopilot so that your airplane will fly to different points. And so apparently he had a point, you know, where he would start and a, the autopilot was, was uh, uh, set up to fly to a point where the pilot would then start what they call an instrument approach. That's how you approach and land at an airport. And so the only the autopilot was up to uh, the first fix, you know what they, what they call the the initial approach fix of this um, instrument approach into this airport. Well, the autopilot didn't have anything beyond that, and the pilot was already incapacitated. So what happened was the plane, upon reaching the place where the autopilot ran out of instructions, kept flying the same heading and altitude. Well, flying that heading and altitude long enough put them over Washington D.C. instead of landing in Virginia. Had the pilot been awake, so the pilot's been incapacitated for quite a while. So this is not uh, because if the pilot was incapacitated due to loss of cabin pressure, wouldn't the passengers too? Yeah, you know, I mean, the, yeah, and so the, apparently there's no, uh, we don't think there's any evidence of that yet. We don't know. I mean, the, the reports are still coming out, but that's a question. I mean, were the were the passengers, you know, waving in the F-16s? Hi, how you doing? You know, I mean, wouldn't yeah, the passengers be curious? Yeah. I mean, so that's the question. So we don't know. That's another question. Were the passengers waving back at the F-16 sitting out their window? And if I was on board that plane, if you were on board that plane, if you I, if you and yeah. I had looked out and seen yes, this thing, the first thing would have came to the mind. What's up with the pilot? I would have went up there and went in the cockpit. I was and, uh, just, I was just going to say that if you and I were on board that airplane, we would have gone up the flight deck uh, and say, "Hey, dude, what the hell's going on?" <laughs> you know, um, and then. You know, and that that was yeah, and apparently that happened before the plane ran out of gas. So the F-16s were there. So I'm still piecing this together, but it is quite fascinating. And so, uh, pilot. Uh, now the airplane was flying along on autopilot. 
Now, as we know from aviation, that if one side loses power and the other side has power, the side that has power is going to steer the nose in the direction of the side that does not have power. And that's a simple way of explaining yaw. And, you know, adverse yaw created by differential power. So you got power on the left side. you got no power on the right side. So the left engine is going to drag the nose over to the right. And eventually this thing's going to start losing altitude because you've got unbalanced power. You have more lift on the left wing because you've got more power on the left side. Right side doesn't have any power. So it's going to start a turn. And then it's going to start a, it's going to start a bank. And then it's going to start a turn. And then it's going to, the nose is going to start to dip because you've got to pull the stick back at the nose level. And then we enter what's called the graveyard spiral. And this has been the death of many pilots. We, uh, we're, we're pretty sure, almost positive, that this is what killed John Kennedy Jr. in his Saratoga over Nantucket several years ago. That uh, the plane entered a graveyard spiral, and he didn't have instrument training, so he pulled back on the stick, making the turn even tighter, basically ripped his wings off. This airplane... If you look at the picture on the ground, it disintegrated. I mean, even if they lost power on both engines and they glided in to a gliding landing, you know, if you had a big enough freeway, they could have put it on the freeway because <laughs> these things can fly pretty slowly. Oh, yeah, if he had been alive. I wonder yeah. if, that's the, if the citation has the ability to land itself, if it had had instructions beyond that last waypoint. Yeah, or I don't know. or maybe the passengers had been up in the in the the cockpit, you know, they could have you know declared an emergency. Uh, for every passenger should know the emergency frequency one to one point five. So if you're flying an airplane and you find the pilot incapacitated, just put one to one point five on the radio and say help. Say mayday, 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 and you will get help. <laughs> you will get help. That remember the guy that landed the um, the caravan, the Cessna caravan, coming out of the Bahamas. It wasn't that long ago. It was like two or three years ago. Remember that. Passenger lands a caravan. Pilot yeah, was incapacitated. Uh, funny thing is a banana. So this this guy died, had a heart attack, and his wife yeah. landed the plane. Of course, she put on the brakes too hard and tore up the propellers, but uh, she done a pretty good job to save herself. Hey, listen, uh, if a passenger lands the airplane, as long as they're alive, you know, and not too badly injured, that's a great landing. <laughs> you know, not a problem. Oh, oh, so uh, oh, uh, I got Marco. He said, uh, "Lonely College." No, it's not a lonely college. Let me spell it out here for you in live chat. O h l o n e, Aloney College. Kind of funny. Come <laughs> on, California. He's probably gonna look it up. Come on, California. They have a uh, they have a radio broadcast program. In fact, I was a college DJ. You believe that? I was a, I was a college radio DJ before I got the gig at uh, WEBY here in Milton, Florida. The problem is my voice sounds yeah, older. Oh, no, it's hysterical because I'm, I'm announcing these people I'd, I've never heard of. And now 21 pilots and what's it, you know, and other people, uh, you know, and these different, these different uh, music people that I'd never heard. Yeah, it does almost sound the same, Marco. Um, you know, and who else? Uh, some of these, these uh, uh, what's your name? Arbor, you know, Ariel Grande or something like that. And anyway, so, so here I am with my deep voice, right? And now, KOHL 98.3, Ohlone College, Fremont, California, with Ariel Grande's latest hit. And then the next DJ comes on. Hi, and now we have, you know, you got the, like the 18-year-old voice, right? It was hysterical. And they broadcasted the, the speakers were live out to the college. So they could hear all of a sudden this deep voice, you know, old guy, you know, broadcasting on college radio. And uh, it, was, it was funny. It was a big running joke for, uh, for the time I was there that uh, I got to push buttons and be a college DJ. I would never want to be a DJ. DJ is boring. Talk show is much more interesting. Anyway, 
that's that's my story. So just tell folks that you know you're never too late to, to as long as you're breathing, it's not too late to start a new career. You know, and I say I was 56. Uh, I started Action Radio, writing articles and, and getting it ready uh, back in 2014. So I've been at this almost 10 years. You know, to get to this point now. Uh, and so some things take time. Uh, I think good things take a long time. You got to prove yourself, and hopefully we're ready. We're now at the point where we get our big break. We've got a really interesting guest in the third hour, Tony Lyons, Skyhorse Publishing. He's the one that published uh, RFK's book, The Real Anthony Fauci. He published Dershowitz's book. He published Woody Allen's book. He publishes books that other people won't publish. So I'm going to talk to him about The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction, my book. Let's see what happens. (laughs) This is going to be fun. Maybe it's an off-the-air chat. Um, Anyway, so back to this airplane. Do you... uh, Does this make sense, though, that he either had a heart attack or a stroke... Um, either of which might be have induced by a COVID shot, but this guy was out. He was out, and the passengers just sat there, and they didn't, uh, you know, nobody wanted to do anything. Now that you better explained it, uh, it absolutely makes sense. He was, uh, it might be a result of those shots, those uh, ill effects come on all of a sudden, and seemingly the Mm -hmm. higher you off the ground, the atmospheric pressure has something to do with it, too, so it probably was. Yeah. And something I'm going to think about, too, because I want to get into jet flying, is that, uh, especially as I, I hope Action Radio makes a, enough money for me to do that, uh, at what point do I you know, bring a co-pilot with me? You know, if I've got a two-seat jet and I'm doing sports stuff and I'm healthy and, you know, and, and everything's good and the vitals are good and everything's fine, you know, at some point I'm going to get old enough where I'm going to need help. And, you know, maybe late 70s, maybe early 80s, but there's going to come a time. You know, when I'm not going to want to fly my jet without a co-pilot who's, you know, young, healthy, and uh, sprightly, and, and away you go. Um, so that's, but I think well, everybody... You may need to find somebody that's hit that grade that's trying to, to accumulate hours. You oh, yeah. Know. Well, I, don't think, I don't think I have to pay anybody. <laughs> First of all, especially if the show's that well-known, you know, there's going to be a lot of people who want to fly with me just to, just to fly with me. You know, that's, and that's going to be kind of cool. So that's the pilots need to think about that. There's 80-plus-year-old guys flying for Civil Air Patrol. There's a lot of private pilots that are, that are over 80, a lot of them, because they all learned at a time when it was a lot less expensive. And as long as you're mm-hmm. healthy, this is why yeah. we have medical checks. This is why pilots should have medical checks. But I think every pilot has to think about the time when, you know, you're going to need somebody else up there with you just in case. Here's another question, too, I thought of, too. Should the military, I mean, these F-16s were pretty powerless to do anything. Should the military be able to, especially with drone technology, you know, artificial intelligence, all the technology do we have, should an F-16 be able to override aircraft controls and autopilots and be able to fly the plane from the F-16? In other words, should they be able to lock on to the flight controls? Should there be a device in airplanes um, whereby in an emergency, and, of course, this is the problem is, well, are they going to start doing it other times? But in an emergency, you know, sh- could, could an F-16 um, have a, a computer box on the airplane where they can actually fly the Citation from the F-16 and they can just bring it to a landing? They can fly with it, beside it. They can lower the gear. They can lower the flaps. They can turn it. They can do whatever is necessary to, to bring it to a landing. And then just if it rolls off the end of the runway or they foam the runway or have a rest of gear or something like that, they can actually bring it down to the runway. Maybe the airport can have that technology, too, where they can actually take over and an airport can land an airplane. Is anything like that in the works? I mean, I literally just thought of it. No. Transponders added enough cost to the plane. Yeah, that's the the cost. That's the other thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's, it's a... 
The mind, the mind speculates. Well, let me give you another news theme, and I want to try. I want to take on this voting right case that just hit the Supreme Court. I'll probably spend a lot of time on this uh, Monday, but a really disgusting thing happened from the court. So let me play you my other news theme. I'm kind of having fun with these. <laughs> this is a good time. So in our news with the Supreme Court, apparently there are uh, five judges, not justices, the Constitution says judges, five judges that determine that the state of Alabama is not in compliance with the Voting Rights Act unless they have two black districts. Did you hear about this, Bianchi? This is really disgusting. This is affirmative action voting in a way that I have never seen. You know, I think it's, it's ridiculous. They're trying to say that the cost of a black population in Alabama, which is about less than about 25 percent, that, that mm-hmm. they should have districts that uh, is representative of that percentage out of the total district. And what you're starting to see is that they're trying to segregate blacks as if blacks all one live together in one area. That's just totally not true. Uh, blacks have the liberty to move wherever they want to as Mm -hmm. they gain economic function and that's what they usually do they move they want to move where they can have appreciation in their home value maintaining Mm of the value and all the other amenities that go with uh, those type of communities well, it's racist to me because what they're saying is that, that black Americans can only, you know, vote or be represented uh, if they're in a, quote, black district. I don't even know what a black district is, that somehow all people vote by skin color, that it's not a question of values. It's not a question of conservative versus liberal versus anarchist versus totalitarian. It's a question of skin color. And so the only way that black people can get representation is if they're in a black district. Well, that's absurd. Because your vote counts whatever district you're in. If you're a white person that's living in a completely black neighborhood, your vote still counts, unless they're cheating. But what's the difference well, between Well, what they're a, saying, a, too. Uh, yeah, go ahead. What you, what you got is you got some politics, some aspiring politicians, some activists that say that the only way that black candidate gets elected is that somebody black votes for them. Yeah, yeah. I, I suppose Obama was elected by uh, by all the black voters in America, and the white voters didn't do it. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. So they, yeah, exactly. Um, Byron Donalds, is he in an entirely black district in Florida, for example? I don't think so. Is he married to a white woman? So I guess they shouldn't yeah, be able well, to vote this district, right? <laughs> so, yeah, so, so here's the question. He's, he's married to a white woman is going to cause problems with a lot of black voters because they – think that uh, the see that picture in front of their kids is some of them think that that's bad except that every commercial out today is a is a mixed race family because they want to be woke it's really funny but yeah mm-hmm. so so if this so this is what they're assuming is that black people marry other people um and that it, so what if you're a white person in a, in a black district that means that your vote doesn't count because you're in a black district because everybody votes by skin color <laughs> this is so ridiculous well, you have that uh, in uh, Shelby County, Tennessee, it's either the fourth or fifth congressional district, uh, which includes Memphis. So that lets you know it is majority black. 
and the people there voted for Stephen Cohen, who's a white congressperson. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean there there are black districts voting for white you people, there are white people voting for you know there are white districts voting for black people. Is Maxine Waters is she in a black district or, or a white district? If if we can be so blunt in our color. Then, but <laughs> going back to Stephen Cohen, the yeah. Congressional Black Caucus won't allow him to join, and not only that, they won't let Donaldson join, and there's some other conservative blacks. So if mm-hmm. you're white and Democrat, you can't join. If you're black and conservative or black and Republican, you can't join the Congressional Black Caucus, even though your constituency is majority black. Yeah. Tim Scott comes to mind, too. I mean, what's the, you know, Tim Scott was obviously elected by white people because South Carolina is not entirely black. So uh, although there's a large amount of black voters in South Carolina, but uh, how did he, you know, he get elected? How did Nikki Haley get to be governor? She's Indian. I mean, Indian, Indian. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, so so what it seems to me is is the uh, this is this is racism. This is government. This is why I want to get all race out of government. Nobody should have a racial classification in government. You've got to get rid of this stuff. Now, sociologists want to track people statistically by race. I don't care about that. But in terms of law, in terms of everything else, we need to completely remove race from government. As long as people have access to vote, it doesn't matter how many of whatever category you want are in each district. So what I would love to see is just a, a block voting system. So you divide the state into blocks. Once you get a block of, of the 750,000 you know, people for a congressional district, that's it. So you make it as square or rectangle as possible. And, the, and you don't divide but up you know what all these do? little amoebas. Yeah, go ahead. When drawing district lines, you got a faction there and that's in others too, that if you have a long block with houses mm-hmm. on either side, mm-hmm. and when a house becomes vacant, then you have a black family that move in. Then you have black families on either side of the block. Okay. Hmm. Now you got these inspiring wokeness that come along and draw these lines, and they would zig that the line from side to side in order to encompass the black households to put them in their quote unquote black district. Yeah. Well, those people may not want to be in that house in that district. That's why they moved out of. It. <laughs> <laughs> and what if you have a conservative black family that moves into, a, you know, that may leave a black district because it's all liberal. They don't want to be represented by a liberal. I mean, how many black people from California left either black districts or white districts to come to Florida? Not because they're black, but because they want decent representation. I mean, I left Florida. I mean, California, because I wanted decent representation. I was never going to have my vote count in California. Never. I would never be able to vote for president. I would never be able to vote in local initiatives. I'd never be able to vote in state initiatives. I was always overridden by liberals. There was no, my vote, my vote was useless in California. So why should I do it? So I left. Well, what did the the Mm -hmm. NAACP say about Florida? They put a ban on trial in there, right? (laughs) Except for the Florida director of the NAACP. You know where he lives? Where? So the Florida director NAACP, of the NAACP, yeah, NAACP, Greg put a ban on traveling to Florida for blacks. But right. what so it why really they is, a... is yeah. <laughs> well, this so... is why because you got blacks moving out of New York and Chicago, yeah. And then when they leave, it's diminishing the Democratic base, and they trying to preserve it. So they put out a ban warning blacks not to travel to those sunny, warm, low tax and high property value places and less crime. Yeah. 
I'm going to look up the NAACP Florida chapter. Oh, here we go. <laughs> NAACP Florida State Conference. Welcome to the NAACP Florida State Conference. Let's see what we've got. Uh, join our newsletter. Subscribe. Let's see what we've got. Find a branch. Now, here's another thing, too. Uh-huh. If you have blacks moving into Florida and they're moving into a mixed neighborhood, it's like, you know, I was on vacation in Florida with my daughter was a little girl. And uh-huh. we were spending a, in the hotel, and you had this uh, promotion for a settlement there in uh, in Nath, not Naples, is it Naperville? Anyway, they came by, gave you lunch, and they gave you a presentation on uh, the community to be, and uh, it was pretty cool. But if you have blacks move into a and become a mixed community, then the NAACP is essentially. Nothing. They not need it. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Hey, listen to this. I found the NAACP uh, Florida branches. So the Alachua County branch. Uh, the president is Evelyn Fox. That's in Gainesville. Uh, the Bay County branch uh, is uh, president is Reverend Dr. Rufus Wood Jr. That's in Panama City. Central Brever Brevard branch president is Clarence Whipple, and that's in Cocoa, Florida. These are all branches of the NAACP in Florida, okay? So, so for all the fact they're saying that the blacks shouldn't go to Florida, they share a lot of branches. Charlotte County branch, we've got the Collier County branch. Uh, that's in Naples. We've got the Dade County branch. That's uh, uh, Dade City, which I guess is outside Miami. The Soto County branch, I, I'm, you know, Flagler County branch, that's in Palm Coast. We've got, what else? We've got Fort Lauderdale. they got a branch. Uh, Gadsden County branch in Quincy, Florida. Uh, Haines branch, Haines City. Uh, this, this, I'm, this is, I'm just keep going. There's like 50 of these branches of the NAACP in Florida, Opelika, Stewart, Titusville, Fort Walton Beach. That's where uh, Matt Gates' office uh, used to be. Orlando, Pensacola. Ooh, that's right near me. What's they're that? trying to turn Florida from red to purple to blue. Yeah. But look at all these and NAACP also, branches. And they're also against school choice, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, the NAACP, first of all, they still call it colored people. Why don't they call it the NAA, you know, BP? How come it's not the National Association for the Advancement of Black People? Why do they still say colored? Well, because they're, they're, trying to, they're trying to entice other uh, ethnic groups, quote-unquote, brown into their organizations, whereas, like, Latinos, Latinos have their own organization. It used hmm. to be called Lorazma, which meant the race in their language, but uh, they've changed it. But, uh, yeah, they try to bring other groups into it, but they don't come. Like, for instance, African immigrants, they don't go there. They don't come there. Yeah. Well, see, they don't consider themselves African-American. They consider themselves African, you know, immigrants to America. Totally different thing. I had a Jamaican friend um, in, in junior high school, and he was saying, I'm not black, I'm Jamaican. Oh, okay, cool. Fine with me. I don't care. You know, um, but it is interesting that uh, Florida has so many branches of this, um, and yet they say don't come here. So it's a bunch of nonsense. It really is crazy. Anyway, I'll get back to this case. We've got uh, Politico. I'm not sure Politico is supposed to be liberal or conservative. I think they're liberal. Anyway, it said the headline is Voting Rights Act Dodges Bullet. Oh, yeah, they're liberal uh, at Supreme Court. It's in a surprising decision that fractured the conservative uh, justices, which are actually judges, the high court sided. Uh, with black voters who challenge Alabama's congressional map as an illegal racial gerrymander. So for those that don't know, Mr. Gerrymander was a person, I think, in Boston 
um, that redrew maps to benefit his party. Gee, big surprise. Both the Republicans and Democrats, that's what they do. You know, it's like uh, when, when, yeah, well, when Lenin said, or is it Lenin or Stalin? It was Lenin who said, it's not who votes that counts, it's who counts the votes that counts. Same thing here. It's not who, uh, you know, watches over the elections, it's who draws the districts. So elections are won by the districts. Uh, parties control, you know, who you can vote for. So if the party doesn't select somebody, you don't get a chance to vote for them. So you never vote for someone that's not in the party. That's why our choices are so bad, because they're chosen by party people. Anyway, so it says this is by Josh Gerstein and Zach Montelaro, M-O-N-T-E-L-L-A-R-O. Uh, and this is from yesterday. The Supreme Court has passed But you know what Florida could do. What they're going to have to do, what they're going to do is sit down and redraw and go at it again. Mm-hmm. And there, there will be uh, a, a partisan committee, like usually if somebody told me it, it's not in Florida, but I'm not sure. And that's uh-huh. what the whole 1965 uh, Voting Rights Act was about. Florida volunteered, became part of that uh, decision. And uh, it was overthrown because many of the districts that this that uh, decision applied to are now all black, practically. So what are you going to say? Blacks are discriminating against themselves. But what Florida should do is say, look, what you're trying to do is segregate people. And uh, we're not going to do it. We are not going to draw up districts that segregate a population. And that's what the basically the courts, some members on the court would like to see. Yeah, I'm going to look at this again in detail for Monday. Um, so this will probably be Monday's show, and I'll take a look. But what, they, what the court said, or what the, the theory is that uh, they did this, they made two black districts uh, in Alabama because they said that one wasn't representative enough. In other words, you had to have a, enough districts that were black to represent the proportion of black people in the state. Well, that's assuming that people vote by skin color, which is a racist thing. You can't do that. And, as, and right. I, I keep saying, yeah, as long as people have access to vote. See, I understand during segregation, black people couldn't vote during segregation. There was discrimination. Well, that's wrong. But one, so the Voting Rights Act, you know, said, okay, you cannot stop black people or anybody from voting. And that made sense. You should be able to say that. However, when that got translated into affirmative action voting, you know, then it, that's when they lost their way. Yeah, it's just like what it says civil rights. Yeah. You, you can't stop blacks, a person with black skin from voting, but nor should you take a person for, with black skin and make them vote for somebody with similar skin color. That's totally yeah. wrong. The yeah. vote should Why be based vote on ideas. Yeah. yeah, the vote should be based on ideas and uh, what's of their interest. Mm-hmm. See, this is where conservatives differ from liberals. And it's, it's interesting that both uh, uh, Roberts, the chief judge, and uh, Kavanaugh, frat boy, sided with the, the Marxists on the court. Uh, I, I, I've, I've told people, you know, as soon as I saw these folks on the court and I listened to them in their confirmation hearings, I said, this is wrong. I said, these, are, these people are not going to be good. That would be Gorsuch, um, Amy Coney Barrett, who I thought was going to be great to her in her confirmation, uh, and uh, Frat Boy Kavanaugh. Now, Frat Boy Kavanaugh had a hard time because he had that crazy professor that accused him of, of either sexual assault or rape, and she couldn't remember when, where, how, or who. So, so that was just bogus. That was, that was total nonsense. But, but, but my problem with Kavanaugh was never uh, the false accusation. My problem with Kavanaugh was the fact that he was too liberal, and now he's proven it. 
he sided with people that say there has to be more black districts. See, Democrats think with skin color. Conservative, you know, yeah, Republicans do. and conservatives yeah, don't. Absolutely right, and it's wrong. Yeah, it is wrong. That is totally wrong. That's why come they uh, uh, they target people that have a tendency to the majority of the time to go with what we call must have been labeled conservative ideology. That mm-hmm. is lower taxes, more freedom, or freedom of choice, or where your child goes to school. They all call that conservative. Yeah, and what black person doesn't want lower fuel prices and better schools? I mean, that's just it's absurd. You know, mm-hmm. and is, is this somehow that, like, uh, Italian-Americans want to pay more for pasta and, and Greek-Americans want something different and Irish-Americans want something different and, and Nigerian-Americans want something different? I mean, this is ridiculous. Most people want the same basic things. This is why this is the stratification of society, this imposed racism by government, is so absurd and so dangerous because they're making these wild assumptions that only a black district can represent black people because otherwise black people have no power. Well, if black people have access to the vote as well as brown people have access to the vote and white people have access to the vote and Asian people have access to the vote and Jews and Christians and Hindus and you can go down the line until we're done, you know, as long as everybody has access to the vote, then none of this other stuff matters. It's a bunch of nonsense. It's political manipulation. Well, like like we gave demonstrations of uh, you got in Shelby County, Mm -hmm. Tennessee, it's either the 4th or 5th Congressional District, you got... Stephen Cohen, who's white, and he's representing that congressional district, which is majority black. That's who they want to be their representative. Now, a long-standing black representative, uh, Harold Ford, he died. Then, you know, I could tell you, like, the, the son or the wife think that they should inherit the seat. Mm-hmm. They turned down his son, Harold mm-hmm. Ford Jr. They turned him down. Yeah. And they chose Stephen Cohen. So all of a sudden, the blacks in that county, that area, is considered to be crazy. Something wrong with them to vote for a white representative. <laughs> yeah, let, let's, and we should call this what this is, too. This is liberal Democrat black power voting. In other words, they want to, to control and coordinate liberal black Americans because conservative black Americans don't care where they live. They don't live in a place where there's good schools and decent housing and, uh, you know, good shopping and all the things everybody else wants. Good recreation, open space, you know, decent highways. You know, everybody wants the same thing when it comes to living. It's, it's not that, that confusing here's or, or where, a big deal. Here's where the, the, here's where the equation comes in. So uh-huh. when you have a power broker, uh-huh. a black power broker, they have to have something to offer in order to be able to sit at the table where they can have opportunities to become powerful, yeah. accumulate wealth through whatever means. So mm-hmm. when you have one say, well, I can deliver you X number of liberal black votes. Yep. And they can say that because they have went through all sort of devious means in order to concentrate blacks in a particular area. Uh-huh. And uh, that's where you got. That's where it works. Yeah, I guarantee you these districts, these black districts are not going to be drawn to favor black conservatives. I guarantee it. It's not going to happen. Let me give you a a part of this article once we get past the fluff. And so this is, again, Politico. Now, you do Uh, have black conservatives that live in that district, but they can't speak up. You know why? Because they threaten with their job. depends on where they work. If you take, uh, I don't know about you, you take a Maryland, 
where you have so many blacks that's uh, working for in government positions, well, they can't speak out because they get fired. Yeah, it's too bad. <laughs> I was talking. I was listening to a show this morning about a woman uh, from the, uh, the the Pussycat Dolls uh, rock group, and she's been horribly affected by the Moderna uh, COVID jab. And she says that all kinds of other folks they can't speak out. You know, I have a post on this: Paul Simon, Celine Dion, Jimmy Buffett, all these well-known you know liberal entertainers. Uh, all of a sudden, they're suffering horribly, but they can't speak out. <laughs> you know, because you can't go against the, the COVID jab, they'll lose business, they'll lose tours. The only one I know speaking out is Eric Clapton. Anyway, let me scooch down here a little bit. It says, uh, it says, Chief Judge John Roberts wrote the court's majority opinion, drawn by the court's, I'll say, leftist block, A.R. Kagan uh, and Jackson. Uh, they say conservative judge Brett Kavanaugh also joined with Roberts. So you've got Kavanaugh and Roberts. Roberts is a, is a squishy liberal anyway. Kavanaugh is proving himself to be liberal. So now you, so, so, so much for the conservative majority, right? Because the conservative majority just collapsed. Now it's a liberal majority of Kavanaugh, Roberts, and the Three Stooges uh, on the left. This is, of course, other conservatives, Thomas, Alito, Gorsuch, and Barrett dissented. There's only four of them. So now, so if the court has a conservative majority, how come the left won? So obviously the court does not have a conservative majority anymore. Uh What the position should be is judging, well, in this case, it was the action. But they're supposed to judge the law and see mm-hmm. if the law is constitutional. That's, they listen to the arguments. Now, you know what's needed, Greg? You need one state, just one yep. state, mm-hmm. to tell the federal courts to go pound sand. Pound sand. I was just going to say pound sand. We, we think so much alike now, it's funny. Yeah, yeah. Pound sand. And, and so what Alabama and should say is no. They're starting to go that way. They're starting yeah. to go that way very, yeah. very slow. Yeah, well, Louisiana is going that way. They well, they've they done a bill that mm-hmm. says that the state will not, you know, adhere to something that's considered unconstitutional, and that's what they should do. Yeah, again, they have to. Well, the states need to to come into their own anyway. Now, you have some. You sent me some bills on uh, Louisiana has passed some. I think they've they've gotten rid of. Uh, uh, sex change for minors. They've got rid of some other stuff. I'm gonna go. I should go over those one day too. Um, so I want to. I want kind of. You know, we got five minutes left before our first guest comes in. So we have guests at eight o'clock. We have a guest at nine o'clock. Obviously, Derek's off for a couple of weeks, so he's he's enjoying the summer. So we'll, we'll get back to economics when we can. But this case, it's called Allen v. Mulligan, and it says. Uh, let me see if I can find you some things here. It concerns section two. And this is the section of the, Civil, of the Voting Rights Act that I'm going to be focusing on. I, have, I don't know it that well, so I'm not going to talk too much about it. But the article says... Section 5 that, was struck down. Oh, really? I don't remember. Uh, it was Roberts that uh, struck down Section 5. Well, so, yeah, I got I to look at the voting rights statute I'm not as familiar with. Anyway, so the article says the concern is that Section 2 may impermissibly elevate race in the allocation of political power within the state. Uh, that's what the, the chief judge wrote. He says, our opinion today does not diminish or disregard these concerns. It simply holds that a faithful application of our precedents and a fair reading of the record before us do not bear out that they are. Of course, he doesn't mention the Constitution, which is one of the problems. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be reading Clarence Thomas' dissent. 
because uh, that's where I think the, the really interesting stuff's going to be. Oh, so it's, then they get to Thomas here. So it says that uh, Thomas, by contrast, is Clarence Thomas, opened his dissent by repeating an argument he has made in past cases, that Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act should not apply to redistricting challenges at all. He says, I have long been convinced that those words do not include a state's choice of one districting scheme over another. Thomas says, they say combative dissent which is 10 pages, 10 pages longer than the majority opinion, uh, is withering in its tone. So this is obviously political. He accused Roberts and the others in the majority of issuing a ruling that will, quote, fossilize all of the worst aspects of our long deplorable vote dilution jurisprudence. That's a good, that's a good comment. I like that one. He says the dissent goes where even Alabama does not go. And that's what Roberts said, arguing that Thomas' approach would leave the Voting Rights Act with a crabbed reach. I don't even know what that means. So they're just going back and forth. I got to read the, the actual uh, law. But it, it just seems to me that you cannot make a Supreme Court ruling where the Supreme Court tells Alabama that they have to have two black districts because they don't have that power. That's right. So they don't, don't have what that they power. Alabama, yeah. Alabama needs to say that. Yeah. But if they don't say it, they're going to keep pushing you around. It's just like yeah. anything in life. If you don't yep. fight back or push back, they're going to continue to push you in the corner. It's like hitting a dog. Yeah, no kidding. Eventually the dog bites back. Well, Alabama needs to bite back. Anyway, it's 757. I'm going to take a couple things here. Yeah, no, but we're going to up again Monday. I think this is well worth us uh, doing more about. Anyway, back again at uh, at eight o'clock in three minutes with our uh, with our first guest, uh, Chris Osceola, who is a patriot fighter and um, someone I've been trying to get on the show for a while. So we'll get to her in just a little bit. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Panklos Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. 
Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stars Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stars Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Grace Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is gracecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at gracecare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask to the answers no one has thought to consider to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio. We have such a good time here. All right, let's bring on our first guest today. We have two, uh, and that's uh, Chris Osceola. I'm going to make her line live right now. Welcome her to Action Radio with our traditional cheer. There we go. <laughs> and after hearing our our uh, our, prom- our promotion that uh, that I made, that basically puts all of our cliches in one place. So you just get them all at once. <laughs> I have so much fun making that. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Um, so I've wanted to get Chris on for for actually a while. I've been reading her stuff and uh, and seeing what's going on. She is. Let me just get this here. The county executive director at Citizens Defending Freedom. So I'm just going to let you talk for a while. Uh, tell me your story. Tell me how you got started in activism. Tell me anything you want, um, because we've got a whole hour and we can explore a bunch of different topics and uh, and and who knows how we can work together. So this is going to be kind of fun. So yeah, who are you? And how did you get on my show? <laughs> Sorry. Lucky. Uh, so. Yes, my name is Chris, and I am the Osceola County uh, Executive Director for Citizens Defending Freedom. So we have a few different counties um, throughout the uh, Texas and Florida and Georgia. So I'll just give you a little bit of background about me. Mm-hmm. So I was uh, born in California, and I was raised in Oregon. 
And then I lived in southwest Washington for about two years before I moved to Florida. You should have gone to Canada. Uh, You're heading north. You should step along the way. You're <laughs> heading further north. I think you didn't like end up in, in Vancouver or like Juneau, Alaska or something like that. You, you, you veered. You're like, uh, like Bugs Bunny. Gee, I should have made a left turn at Abbotsbury. You know, <laughs> you ended up in Florida. <laughs> So so let's so we're just there in California because I spent 30 years in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. So I'm I am well versed in absurdity and craziness, and uh, I love the Bay Area up until about the 90s when they lost their way. But uh, where'd you start? Where in California were you? So it was down in um, Bakersfield area. Oh. In the Mojave Desert. Hot, dry, dusty, oil. Yes, I remember the dust storms. We moved to Oregon when I was about five, so I didn't huh. have too many childhood memories there, but I do remember mm-hmm. walking to my grandmother's house and having these sandstorms and the sand just hit beat in the back of my legs. And I don't know, the painful things, I guess, are what sticks out to us most when we're kids. Yeah. Bakersfield, I actually had a radio show there. I did, I had uh, six weeks of wonderful radio, but uh, the commute exhausted me because I was working full time. Uh, and this is back uh, about six months before, uh, before 9-11. And so I show at uh, Bakersfield, uh, I forgot the, the, the number of the radio station, but whatever their AM station is. And I drive, you know, 450 miles, you know, from San Francisco to Bakersfield, <laughs> do a radio show, uh, collapse, you know, spend uh, overnight at, uh, at a friend's, uh, you know, grandmother's place and then get up the next morning and drive home. So I was doing a 900 mile oh, round yeah. trip to do a show in Bakersfield and working 50 hours a week. I literally collapsed six weeks later and I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, but so that was my actual start in radio. And this is where I got kind of some of the ideas for what I, what I do now. And I, I don't have any recordings of those old shows, which is too bad. But Bakersfield, people don't understand that California is a lot different than, uh, you know, like the Valley Girls. Or like the guys, you know, that go surfing. And it's like totally awesome, you know. <laughs> and then we get you know, pizza and, and we go surf. And, you know, it's more to it than that. And then you got the snooty north of California. <laughs> but there's this whole middle that no one knows about. I mean, Devin Nunez comes from farm, farm country, which is Fresno, the raising capital of the world where they really know how, how to have a good time. But Bakersfield is oil wells. It's this, it looks like Saudi Arabia, and people have no clue. It really does. And you've got these mountains, yeah. and these winds come whipping down the plains, and they, whip your, they, they beat you to death with sand, and then it hits the mountains and goes straight up and hits the airplanes. But it really is the Saudi Arabia of California. Yeah. Pretty good description? Yes. Yes, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> my my so parents was, worked on the, the naval base there in China Lake. <clears throat> okay. So, so you're so you're Navy brat, or, or, or I guess right. Well, they weren't. In, they didn't serve in the military. They were just privileged enough to work on the base. But okay. they did. They did spend their career working for the federal government and um, the Bonneville Power Administration. Whose administration? Bonneville Power Administration. I don't know who that is. They were in. Yeah, they did. Um, Power, and they were in Portland, Oregon area, and Vancouver, Washington, Southwest Washington. Okay. Now, Vancouver is an interesting place because Washington has, I think, no uh, income tax, and Oregon has no sales tax. So Washington, yeah. uh, so, so Vancouver, Washington, people live there because they don't have an income tax. So they, they, get, the, they get that, and then they go shop in Oregon where there's no sales tax. So, Washington, so Vancouver, yeah. Washington is, is huge. Just for that reason, right? However, were you there? Of, yes. Go ahead. Yes. And a lot of people who live in Vancouver work in Oregon. So they still have oh. to pay the income tax, but they don't have to pay the sales tax. Oh. Well, that's too bad. 
Yeah, Oregon takes their taxis yeah. while they live in, in Washington. Yeah, okay. So your next stop was yeah. in Oregon. So 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 that so I'm 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 also sort of we're not just you know doing a little tourism thing here. I'm curious as to when you started you know picking up your activism. So was Oregon? And Oregon's a very liberal state. Um, so so yeah. how did that affect you? Well, I grew up liberal. My parents separated when I was about five. So shortly right after they moved to Oregon. Mm-hmm. And, excuse me, they, uh, my dad was liberal, my mom was conservative, and I was raised by my mom, but I was a daddy's girl, so I aligned a lot more with my dad's political leanings. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense. The, and we went, to, we went to Al Gore rallies together. Oh, my God. I went to Portland State University. Did you meet, did you meet Al Gore? Did you meet Al Gore? Did I you didn't shake his hand? Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm just not. curious. Okay. I, yeah, maybe, yeah. <clears throat> Thank goodness. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's funny because I was, I was a liberal. I grew up in a liberal school system. Mm-hmm. But I had no idea what being a liberal actually was. I just knew that that's what I was because that's what I was told that I was. Yeah, actually, so, that makes a lot of sense. So I had uh, ultra, you know, like my mother was the ultra feminist Marxist socialist parent. My father kind of went along with it. You know, I don't think he was as, as political. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and so my folks were liberal in liberal Massachusetts. I'm in Lexington, Massachusetts. It's this white liberal, you know, suburb, very rich. I mean, there were Nobel Prize winners, you know, a couple on every street. I mean, it was, it was an incredible place to be. But it was just, I mean, there, were, there was, uh, you know, two, two branches of politics, liberal and more liberal. And that was it. <laughs> there, was no, there, were, there was no contrast. So when kids grow up in that environment, you know, conservative was like some kind of like unknown, bizarre religion by foreign aliens with three heads. You just, you didn't, you heard about it, you knew it existed, but uh, you didn't really, you weren't really conscious of it because there was no evidence of it anywhere. You just never saw it. Yeah. So it's almost, it's almost like, right. so it's just, I think we had a common experience in that regard. What do you think? Yes. I think so. Okay. And then you get older and wiser, right? I hope so. I'll, I'll let you know I when. So. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so were you in college in Oregon, or are you still a kid at this point? No, I, I went to college in Oregon. I lived there for about mm, 30 years. Oh, wow, okay. And, and then I just moved across the river to southwest Washington mm-hmm. and in about 2019. And it was really... The summer of love in 2020 is when I started really, uh, my eyes opened to the media line. Um, the riots were happening mm-hmm. really, really bad in Portland. Did you see, I, were you in, in, in involved or, in, or were you like caught up in any of the BLM riots or anything like that? What were they saying about it in Oregon? <clears throat> so what they were saying in Oregon was that the law enforcement were the aggressors. Oh, it was their fault. However, <laughs> I was watching live streams. I was, I, I still have screen records of it because I, it was, I was so blown away by what I was mm-hmm. seeing. Right. Um, but they, uh, yeah, I saw that that's not what was happening. I saw that there were Molotov cocktails being thrown and bricks and frozen water bottles and, uh, bottles with unknown substances. <laughs> did it look Laser organized to you? In their eyes. Yeah, did it look oh, organized? Oh, yes, it was definitely organized. Okay. Definitely organized. So I became rather 
I don't want to say obsessive, but it was one of those things where when I have this epiphany or something just kind of slaps me in the face, I do a lot of research because mm-hmm. it's almost like I'm trying to disprove what my eyes are seeing, but there's no way to disprove it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, th- that's a really good observation because your, your ideology, your, your natural conditioning and upbringing clashes with what you're seeing. I think a lot of folks go through, yeah. that, through that. So let's talk about that for a minute because that's really important. I think uh, it, it helps a lot of people to realize that there is a clash. It's like assumptions. You know, when I confront people with assumptions and I say that uh, uh, the Supreme Court folks are not justices, they're judges. How do I know? Because it says so in Article yeah. 3 in the Constitution. They're called judges. They're only yeah. there for uh, good behavior. They're not there for life, and they have no power beyond that's the case. Right. They get cases in law and equity, and that's it. You know, law and money. That's all they can do. And we were just talking about this before you came on the show of this bogus decision where the the, uh, Supreme Court has required Alabama to two black districts. Now, Pianca is on the line, too, so uh, he may join us at some point as well. But but the conditioning is that, uh, you know, you assume. And from your upbringing and conditioning, you know, so, so here you are, liberal, and all of a sudden you're seeing things that liberals are doing, and it doesn't jive with what you've been told that liberalism is. So now what do you do? So, yeah, <laughs> well, that's when I just, uh, I started questioning everything at that point. I started questioning, okay, I'm watching this with my own eyes. This mm-hmm. is a city I grew up in, a city that I, as a teenage girl, used to ride public transportation by myself at night and because it was safe. Hmm. And now I'm watching it being destroyed. And I'm watching drone footage of the courthouse and the fencing that's up and all the graffiti and the buildings I used to work in in downtown Portland that are just being destroyed. And watching people, elderly people with American flags just trying to exercise their First Amendment rights, being attacked and having paint thrown on them and their flags burned. And that really just lit a fire in me. And I just, at that point, I told my husband, I said, I have a feeling I'm going to snap if we don't get out of here. I said, I can't take this anymore. Interesting. Um, Where is he politically? We had it. So he's, he was raised conservative, and he's always been conservative. He, when we met, though, he started thinking, okay, you say you're a liberal, but you like guns, and you're a Christian. And usually those two things don't go together with being a liberal. Yeah, they but can. But I'm, very, that, I'm a very yeah. stubborn person, and so I wouldn't hear any of that. Um, Interesting. My mom would try to talk to me about uh, President Trump or about George Soros, just trying to drip these thoughts into me to look into. And I would tell her, I don't want to hear anything about it. For me, it was orange man bad because I believed what the media said and what was true. I'd never looked into any accomplishments or, you know, any good that he was doing. I would tell her when I would go visit her, if you don't turn off Fox News, I'm leaving. And I would leave. And unfortunately, both my parents passed away in 2020. Um, My dad passed away in March. My mom passed away in July. So once I had this, I guess, awakening, it sounds so cliche to say that, but that's essentially what it was, then I didn't get to enjoy that, you know, time with my mom because I knew she would have been really proud. But I also think that my dad would have been proud because I don't, he would not have agreed with the direction that the party was going. 
Okay. So, uh, yeah, my husband had an opportunity with work for us to to relocate the following. So, let's see, that was in the summer of 2020. So then in about April of 2021 is when we moved. So, so you're fairly recent to Florida. Choice, That's interesting. Yeah, we had a choice to move to Kenosha, Wisconsin, or Florida. Uh-huh. And the choice was pretty I told you you were going to go north. <laughs> I told you you were going to head north. <laughs> Body. Nope, I was wanting to go as far south as I could get. So from one or one corner of the country down to the other, I just I needed change. Well, that's what I did too. I mean, I came out here. I, I looked around for a radio station, um, and it took me. Uh, I, I went through about four hundred refusals and, and uh, letters and, and just no response and things like that. But I applied to about four hundred stations trying to find one, and I really wanted to be in the south. And I kind of wanted to be in the Panhandle. And fortunately, I found this little station called WEBY, and I found it when I was looking at stations that Ken Hamblin, who was a friend of mine. Um, was broadcasting too because I figured if they were he was not the like the Sean Hannity Mark Levin Rush Limbaugh the top you know most talk shows talk stations had like the five top people Laura Ingram and that's all they had so stations that had some of the the like the two and three tier folks like Ken Hamlin I thought well maybe they got a spot for me and so I found this little station called WBY and uh, and I started talking to the owner and then the, the weird part was I had to have heart surgery uh, and this would have been this is October of 2016 it was right before trump's election in november in fact the first thing i saw when i got home from heart surgery was was trump you know one i was like yay the world has changed everything's great you know i'm alive i've had heart <laughs> surgery okay things are good four months later i actually get the job at wby so here i am four months after heart surgery i've gained like 150 pounds it blew up like a balloon from uh, the water retention and things and apparently that happens uh with uh with surgery uh, at least heart surgery. And so here I am overweight, you know, driving out here. A friend of mine said, I'm coming with you. It's like, okay, let's go. So we had a great time. So I ended up in a place I'd, <laughs> I'd never, uh, never visited, never really, I didn't know anything about it. You know, I uh, had never, I didn't meet the boss. I had never broadcast a morning radio show. And so all these never done before us, you know, and here I am four months after open heart surgery, you know, 150 pounds overweight showing up and going, okay, let's go. <laughs> and the rest is history. And here I am. So it's yeah. our story's kind of parallel a little bit. I, I beat you out here by a little bit, but uh, congratulations, congratulations to your husband. I mean, it sounds like you married the right guy, uh, and so that's good. Yeah, so he's he sounds very supportive. But you can put if he's there, you can put him on too. I don't care. Hey, husband, if you're there, dude. <laughs> he's working. You know. Oh, okay. So get get him the podcast. Um, but anyway, so so you I came did. to Florida. <laughs> so his work. What's that now? I said, oh yeah, he's 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 probably listening. Oh, good. I hope so. Well, let's give him, let me see if I can, uh, hang on a second. Hey, let's give him a round of applause, too. Let me scroll down here. This is why I need to produce this so I can do this faster. But anyway. There we go. So you got to Florida. And yeah. What's that? Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of times we can't do things. I mean, the support that you get makes a huge difference. I have the most amazing people around me, uh, even though they're all over the country. Uh, for action radio. Uh, if there's a problem, if there's an issue, if there's something going on, if I'm thinking something really bizarre, or if I do something really stupid, <laughs> I got a lot of people to tell me. Uh, and that really, that, no, it's serious. I, I would not be able to do the show with other people involved. Like I say, one of them on the, is on the line right now, Pianchi. Um, but uh, it's, it's interesting how this works, that just a little bit of support allows you to do amazing yeah. things. And I think that people need to know that. So, so tell me, so what do you got for, for support here? And in fact, you've actually become a group that you're, you're running after getting here for what, five minutes later, you, you joined this group or, you know, so uh, what do you think of the support angle? Yeah, we, yeah. Well, we had no family, no friends. We didn't know a single soul here. When uh-huh. we moved. 
And I was suffering a lot of social anxiety from the lockdowns in Oregon and my parents passing and I had, you know, little kids, so I wasn't getting out a whole lot. And, uh, you know, we found a church around here and then, you know, shortly after moving here and the, the pastor was talking about how important it is for the community, especially for conservatives, to get involved in local politics. Run for city council, run, run for school board. And I looked at my husband uh, a couple of days later and I said, you know, I think I'm going to go to a school board meeting. Huh. And it was really random. Our kids were not at, of school age at that point. Mm-hmm. And I just had this, this desire in my heart that I just needed to go to a school board meeting. And being the supportive husband he is, he said, okay. And I remember when I went, they were standing room only because they were actually debating the mask mandate. Oh, and okay. I remember standing there thinking, why is this even a debate? The governor passed a law that it's a parent's choice, and the mask, but there is no mask mandate. So why are we debating this in school? I moved from liberal lockdown, bordering communist Oregon, all the way down here to get away from this. And... I, 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 was, I was very shocked, and there were, I remember exactly where I stood. I stood in one spot the entire meeting, a few hours, and I didn't talk to anybody. I just stood there, and I observed. And I saw a group of ladies off on my right that were wearing uh, American flag shirts and hats, and I thought, okay, so those are probably my people over there. They my people. Masks, I was say, yeah, I was say, those are your people. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, it's I start inching here. over a little closer. <laughs> I inch over a little closer to them, and just to you know, make my presence known that hey, you know, I think I, I think that we might align. And mm-hmm. I was just very observant and just watching, you know, people watching. And so after that meeting, there was um, there was one school board member who was speaking up against the mandate and the other four were not and he was the only one not wearing a mask you know up on the whole dais and so I thought you know what I want to get to know that guy he's standing up for what he believes in he is standing up for the kids and the parents and he was my driving force to go back to more meetings well as I started going to more school board meetings I started seeing the same group of people, the same group of moms. How about and there was that? a couple of dads too. <laughs> and, and so then we just kind of organically formed together and thought, you know, we need to start looking into these school board meetings. Mm-hmm. And we need to start looking into these agendas and researching these contracts that are being passed. And contracts. So what kind we, of contracts? So we went, yes. What? So education contracts, teaching, education, um, tools, technology, software. Books? Uh, <laughs> yes, books. However, there, our district, Osceola County School District, is 100% device-led. So every student mm. has a device, so there's not many textbooks. It's all done through the computer. So they, so they are uh, controlling, essentially, everything that is, um, you know, that students are having access to. But the, the troubling thing is, is that the books is where a lot of the 
maybe inappropriate content or um, CRT, incorrect history uh, stuff would be in a lot of these textbooks. So there were a lot of approvals for things like that, con um, contracts for construction or maintenance. But we started really focusing on just the curriculum and the educational agenda items. And there were a couple of them that we, you know, really caught our attention. And uh, one of them was a both of them were teacher trainings. And what they did is they were focused on new teachers and would, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a research person. I think I was probably a detective in a previous life maybe. But that was what my <laughs> original calling was before I got into activism and stuff like that. Yeah, you should have been but an investigative reporter I, or something. I'll, I'll see if you ever did journalism in college. That'd be something interesting to find out, too. <laughs> um, I should have looked into that, but I was, I was interested in web design and development. I was a, the geek who would just code. So uh, what I started finding when I was researching this company and who they were receiving donations from, they were receiving donations from organizations linked to George Soros. And... Did you know who he was at that point? Did you know about George nope. Soros at that point? I remembered my mom talking about him, but I didn't quite know who he was okay. until I, I heard a little bit about him during the rioting uh, with Antifa, because Portland had a heavy Antifa presence. But it wasn't How did Portland get a heavy Antifa presence? Let's talk about that. How did Portland get a heavy Antifa uh, you know, group? And, you know, um, Portland, I mean, they're liberal, but I mean, how did Antifa move into Portland? And did they have a strong Black Lives Matter, um, you know, quotient as well? I mean, how did these folks get to Portland? Why yes. Portland? Why Portland? I mean, I know it's liberal, so, but I'm just curious. It's not like a huge city. Why there? Why not Seattle? Why not? What I uh, think, well, they did in Seattle, too. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, um, the Chad. Seattle, they had the autonomous zone. Oh, yeah. I got I a thing to play for you on that in a little bit. I, <laughs> I did some sarcastic pieces. I think one of those a lot came Chad. out of the Katrina movement. I'm okay, so Pianchi, this is Pianchi. So, so, so what do you think? I think a lot came out of people moving up their way out of Katrina. I don't know. Find out. Chris, you know anything about that? About what? About Hurricane Katrina, which would have been, what, 10, 12 years ago now? Maybe longer. Yeah, when people evacuated, they, many uh, ended up before in the northwest as, uh, as Oregon and Washington. Huh. Okay. Well, well, that's interesting. Um, Chris, what do you think? Or why did these groups end up in Portland? What was what was unique? Or what was it about Portland that attracted this kind of stuff and this kind of violence? I mean, the courthouses and the protests well, and the riots and everything else. Katrina's well, an interesting I think idea, that a though. Lot of, yes, I, and that I hadn't considered and I hadn't heard anything about, but that could be that could be an explanation. Yeah. Um, but also, I think that the liberal school system there. Okay. was starting to develop this belief in kids. And there's, you know, no accountability. Um, there's, a, you know, we're oppressed or we're oppressors or there's oppressed. There's marginalized groups. And they start putting these, like, I, programming these kids into Yeah, it's called indoctrination. <laughs> let's let's yes, be blunt. These, like, thank you. Yes. Yeah. They're indoctrinating Speak them with freely. ideologies. 
And so then as they go to college, I mean, Portland State University right now, I I read an article, I think, a week or two ago Mm -hmm. that they're having safe spaces where they're giving college students uh, cotton candy and temporary tattoo stickers. (laughs) And and I, 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 I thought I was reading about an elementary school, but nope, it's Portland State University. And so it's just that the mentality that these kids are developing there is, I think, is probably one of the leading causes that was contributing to this delinquency and this mindset. And then there's a George Soros district attorney there right. who was not prosecuting these individuals. And the police were out there doing their job every night. And then the DA wasn't prosecuting and they were just released back on the streets. They could assault police officers. They were facing no repercussions and they were put right back out on the street. And so they're, it's condoning their behavior. So they're not going to learn. And it just, it just emboldened them. And there were, there was over a hundred, I can't remember exactly how many, but there was over, well over a hundred consistent consecutive nights of this, destruction yeah that's like a third of the year this is this is huge did they have this is kind of a weird question but did uh, either antifa antifa or black lives matter have like an office did they have a place where they met and organized did they have uh, a a club place or something or was there a headquarters that the city said "Eh, no problem Um, yeah you guys can meet here i'm just curious not that I, not that I'm aware of. I didn't look into it that deeply, but I do know that they did a lot of their organizing through social media. Okay. And if there were other people, I mean, people had to disguise themselves to go in to record a lot of these uh, action, you know, call to actions that they were doing, and they had people watching the different streams. So they would look for camera angles and placement of where you know, good individuals were that were trying to just report on what was happening. And then they would go and attack them and break their cameras or take their phones. And they were all masked up, wearing all black. So it was harder to identify who these people were. And, I mean, they, they were trying to kill some people. There was a, a, a gentleman, Andy No, who's a very good reporter. Oh, I know Andy Portland. No. I don't know him personally, but I know who you mean. Andy No is famous for his work with Antifa. And yes. I think he's Vietnamese. And, you know, so yes. you, you, you find him easily in, uh, you know, in, in a crowd of, of, you know, white mommy's basement, you know, male Antifa members. Yeah. So he would go wearing black, you know, and mm-hmm. a mask. So he would be harder to identify. But they, they had people watching for him and he would get death threats. They, mm-hmm. they tried, they would assault him. They tried killing him. And, but he, he kept, he kept, you know, wanting to, wanting to get the truth out. He kept wanting to expose what they were doing. And I think that he was really, I mean, he was very instrumental in opening my eyes to what was going okay. on. Okay. Yeah. So, what, what you're talking about here is, is a very natural development into, to activism. And I think that uh, the, especially the sports. And you can have a conservative area in Florida and have a Marxist school board. You know, I don't think much of our yeah. school board here in Santa Rosa County. Uh, I had a debate with them uh, in one of the meetings when I think Karen Barber was the superintendent. Uh, we're talking about Pyler v. Doe, a case that we talked about on the show Monday, uh, where the Supreme Court overstepped their constitutional authority by a huge amount by ordering 
all the states in this country to educate illegal aliens at taxpayer expense. Well, they can't do that. That's both amnesty and foreign aid, and yet they do, and people go along with it. So the Marxist school boards, you know, you can have a conservative area, but the Marxists tend to find their way into uh, the school board. I want to to jump to Florida here, but I want to play my piece on Chaz because I think you get a kick out of it. So this is some of the stuff uh, that we do around here. (laughs) I have not any for a while. Most of these were were, were created during the lockdown when I was bored. And, of course, when I get bored, I get angry. When I get angry, I get creative. So this is is my my three minutes of the Chaz, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone for Seattle. Sit back, enjoy, uh, take a sip of coffee, and uh, we'll be right back. Oh, here it goes. Ah, Seattle, time to visit again, or for the first time. No matter how many times, you'll never forget this visit to Seattle. Watching the sun set on the west coast, the guitarists on the street corners, people walking, hanging around the many cafes and art enclaves, just taking it all in. From Pike Place Market to the first Starbucks, to the whales in Puget Sound, and views of Mount Rainier, there is nothing like Seattle. And now you can watch the sunsets glistening off the broken glass in the streets, various styles of bottles used for Molotov cocktails, fashion statements made with creative body armor, the use of improvised weapons, the never-ending art forms painted on every building, particularly the man parts, and the beautiful sound of voices in unison expressing their fondest wishes and desires for your life and property. So how can you visit this enchanted never-never land of the Northwest during their summer of love? Snowflake Tours has teamed up with the Seattle Board of Economic Development, Tourism, and Riot Promotion to extend the warmest of welcomes to our latest attraction, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, affectionately known as Chaz. Soon to be called CHOP, but we like Chaz better. If you think Disneyland is a good time, it's nothing compared to Chaz. Chaz being an autonomous nation within the United States, protected by the Seattle mayor and city council, you can't just walk in like illegal aliens at our southern border. This is because there is a wall and guards openly carrying firearms in order to maintain the security of this new fledgling nation. So there is a procedure to gain access. Snowflake Tours has made this an escorted tour for your safety, and so you'll be surrounded by people who look like you, White people will have an Antifa tour guide direct from their mommy's basement. But don't worry, they can protect you because they are fully indoctrinated and trained with the latest techniques of mayhem and street combat. Black people will be escorted by a member of Black Lives Matter. Fresh from riots across the country and funded by Amazon and other mega corporations, with their training and experience, you couldn't be in better hands. And of course, they speak black. Take in the wonders of Chaz while you are there. You can warm yourself by the burning book piles, Feel the camaraderie as you are swept up in a march or rally. Get a brief audience with our warlord, but not for too long, and be sure to make an offering. A blank check, signed, is preferred. Don't worry about the police. There aren't any, which is fine because there aren't any laws either. (laughs) Businesses and attractions may not be there when you get there, depending on the needs of the people. The unique feature of this tour is that rather than enjoy the things that are already there, on this tour, it's what you bring to the table that counts. Money, supplies... There is a whole provision list of things like food, water, batteries, jewelry, and other commodities of exchange to choose from in donation to keep Chaz a people's paradise. On this vacation, you show up with full suitcases and leave with empty ones. That's what makes this tour so special. Chaz, a new nation, a new concept, coming to a liberal city near you. See all the fun we have here? Oh, I love that. 
Oh, so, and, and we we have your laugh on the track too. I left your line live, so yeah, we got some some good chuckles in there. But yeah, that's um, <laughs> I had a good. I got a bunch of them here. So, uh, but this is what we do for fun, and this is something that I, I think uh, the the, the that you can use too. Ridicule. If you can make fun of liberals, leftists, Marxists, Antifa, Black Lives Matter people, uh, and not get your house burned down, it's really fun. <laughs> well, it's funny you should mention that actually about getting oh, your house burned down. You yeah, so uh, when so I was mentioning about how this uh, group of us parents started, you know, researching and speaking out at school board meetings. Mm-hmm. So then we organically uh, became organized, and eventually we started, uh, or I started the Moms for Liberty chapter in our county. Okay, who are, tell me about them too. I'm and, curious who Moms for Liberty are. Because they're growing fast. So, yeah. So I'm not with Moms for Liberty anymore. I okay. since I made the move to Citizens Defending Freedom. But uh-huh. uh, all they are is just a grassroots group, uh, parents who are or moms. Well, there's dads now too that are just um, holding school boards accountable and making sure that the um, that parental rights are being uh, you know at the forefront of the decisions for their kids. They're looking into the curriculum, um, library book material, and just making sure that parents have the fundamental right of the upbringing of their kids and that the government or the school systems are not coming in and trying to take that away from them. Mm-hmm. So, and apparently they were just right. seen by Southern Poverty Law Center, which is a George Soros group also, that they are domestic terrorists. <laughs> Interesting. Um, you know, I was going to tell you, the uh, Louisiana legislature passed House Bill 182, which provides that no person shall be required to receive a COVID-19 vaccine as a condition of enrollment or attendance at any public or non-public school. So there's examples of states who are addressing the question and the issues that uh, many that you've mentioned here today, like the exposure and pure to these illicit materials mm-hmm. and uh, other things that are uh, degrading to uh, our young people. Yeah. Yeah. And we have those laws in Florida as well. And the, the problem is that a lot of the school districts find ways around it. So, How do they do that? Because I mean, this is this is really key. Because well, you've got Marxists that don't care about the law. You know, you've got Governor DeSantis who's yeah. who's done some some good things. Um, we'll save his presidential run for another time. But uh, you know, basically, he's trying to get the woke <laughs> out of California, uh, Florida. Excuse me. And uh, but the school boards don't care. You know, they were masking when mask mandates were there were no mandates. They were doing it anyway. Um, yeah. I don't know if you're near Gainesville at all, but uh, one of my favorite folks, uh, Jeff Childers, is an attorney. He's the one that got rid of the, ga- the, yeah. the mass mandate in Gainesville. Do you know Jeff at all? Are you, are you close enough, you guys? Jeff, or is, do you know? Jeff is actually, uh, I don't know him personally, but he is with um, Citizens Defending Freedom also. Okay, good. All right. Good to know him. So he, he, helped, he was on the show. He you can look up his show. Okay. Yeah, he helps a lot of the, the legislative issues or lawsuit issues that we have within Citizens Defending Freedom. Okay. Florida. Yeah. Well, let's talk about what Pianchi was talking about with the COVID, uh, the COVID shots and, or any mandates that are coming out of the school board. Um, what are you able to do with those? And is that a part of Citizens Defending Freedom? 
So we're for uh, medical freedom. Okay. And nobody telling us what we, you know, it's, it's you know, our right as, as Americans, as, as people, that we don't get mandated what goes into our body mm-hmm. or what they're trying to make us, you know, required. One of the cases, one of the big cases that we had was uh, an employee of Disney filed a lawsuit because Disney, Disney World, Disney, was trying to force vaccine mandates on their, on their employees. And mm-hmm. so Citizens Defending Freedom filed a lawsuit against that, and they won, and were able to get that to be not a requirement any longer. And in, in our school, Governor DeSantis has mandated that the COVID vaccine is not required for, that they cannot require or mandate it for, for children. Do they check and see if people have had it? Are they, are they checking for other vaccines? Uh, you know, how, how strict is the policy right now? So they, they do still have vaccine requirements, just the basic uh, I, I say basic, but the common vaccines that they've, you know, been requiring for since I was a kid. However, there's a lot more of them now that go in to these vaccines. And, you, I mean, they're able to accept uh, medical exemptions. They have to accept exemptions for your kids, but it's a hassle then for parents to have to go and apply for these exemptions. Um, but, you know, what how far would you go for your kids or wouldn't you go for your kids? Well, let's talk about that for a minute because, uh, you know, I think Pianca is going to agree with me on this too, that, uh, that you really need to get rid of all these mandates. You know, why would you mandate? Yeah. Uh, we, in fact, we had Dr. Judy Mikovits on not too long ago and I asked her about these, these diseases, you know, diphtheria, pertussis, uh, tetanus, you know, measles, mumps, rubella. You know, those are the classic, the DPT, MMRs. So those are the classic shots that, that, uh, that we all got as kids in the 60s. Uh, I wouldn't take a vaccine now. You couldn't pay me enough to get a vaccine now of any kind. I haven't had a shot. Right. Uh, I had, in fact, about, I had my, my gov- the last time I had a shot was my government law enforcement job when I was, uh, you know, joining uh, U.S. Customs, which became Customs and Border Protection after 9-11. And they made everybody get a hepatitis B shot. And the only reason I, I took it was because I know a whole lot of people that had a whole bunch of them every year and they were doing okay. And I thought, all right, I guess I can get away with this one, but they're not going to put anything else in my arm. And I only had one of them. The, uh, they tried for two, and I just I just kept you know walking away and avoiding it you know. But uh, that's and that was back uh, in the 90s, so we're talking no, it was 2000. So this would have been yeah, it's been 23 years since I've had any kind of uh, uh, a shot of any kind, and it's it's interesting. But I wouldn't I was against vaccines from the 90s back with uh, um, the, the anthrax vaccine, the the whole Gulf War syndrome, you know, because I knew all about that stuff. And so, but again, I, yeah. I understand the pressure for doing a job because rather than walk out, you know, and nobody was doing that at that time, uh, I said, okay, I'll go with this one shot. I'll take it. You know, and the last one I had before that was probably 20 years before that. Um, but I won't take one, another one. And my kid only had a, a few. Um, in fact, they gave her one that I specifically said not to, which I, ironically was hepatitis B. But they were doing that for dental people. We're having them every year or every six months or some ridiculous amount yeah. uh, of hepatitis B shots. So it's, it's not as bad as the COVID shot. But it's still, it's still, it's still, who knows what's in it, and so it's not worth doing. So yeah. I would say, if you can get right. rid of all vaccines, and and the whole idea is, if people want to take it, great. But the idea that you have yep. to take it to protect other people, the whole basis of of, of of a mandate is they're mandating that you have one to protect other people. Well, if it works, yeah. then <laughs> you know, then it should protect you, so you're in no danger. And if it works 
then uh, then other people can get it too, and it works for them. But if they don't want it, and you've got it, then you can't infect them because you've your vaccine works. And if they don't, if they get sick, right. with, here's the other thing too that, that Judy told us is even if you get these rare diseases and they haven't had a case of diphtheria for 100 years, even if you do get a case of it, it's treatable. So why would you risk? getting a jab that no one knows what's in it these days, and they're getting worse and worse with all kinds of messenger yeah. RNA technology and things like that, for a disease that isn't here, and even if it is here with all the illegal aliens coming in, uh, it's still treatable. So why would you yeah. do it? So, well, so if you're going to do something, yeah, so get rid of all the bad. Exactly, they're not required. Oh, here's a question for you, too. Now, do you have illegal aliens coming into your school system that do not have to have any jabs? Or more simply, do you have illegal aliens coming into your school system? I don't know that. I can't say that for certain. I don't. I don't think so. But I can't. I can't say that for for certain. I'm not. I'm not sure. Try asking your school board. Ask them how many illegal. Yeah. I did that with my school board. I said, "How many illegal aliens do you have in the school system here in Santa Rosa County?" And they said, "We can't ask that question." I said, "Of course you can. Illegal aliens are criminals. Why can't you ask that question?" Well, the Supreme Court yep. said, of course, then, then I've lost, they've lost me right there. As soon as they said the Supreme Court said, <laughs> you've already lost me. I just because they can't say that. And that's Plyler v. Doe. That's the case that uh, we went over Monday in excruciating detail. So you can look up that show. But what they're saying is you cannot even ask if, if criminals are criminals. Well, that makes no sense. Why should you pay for criminals? That's so easy. this is another case, as Pianchi says, where the state of Florida has to stand up and say, we are not paying for illegals. I'm trying to get that done here. My own county won't even pass an ordinance creating an illegal alien-free zone where we're free of illegal aliens. They can do that. Bunch of wimps. Yeah. I'll send you the bill. Yeah. So those are all issues. So you, you can get rid of vaccine mandates, get rid of your illegal aliens. And I, my plan is to use uh, civil asset forfeiture. So uh, I'll, I'll send you yeah. the bill on this. And you guys, you guys can try it in your county. It's not working in my county because we've got a bunch of uh, weenies who are taking money from all the home, the housing developers. And so that's our problem. And so oh, I, they may that, even wonder. We have that here. Oh, do tell. Yeah, our, uh, our local... Um, our local county is very uh, friendly with developers, and a lot that? of the citizens here are mm-hmm. suffering. Do they want more highways? Um, Do they want more roads? Do they want more government spending? No, they're not doing any of that. They just want to build houses. They don't care hmm. about the infrastructure. They well, don't care that there's an over 40-minute average response time for, for the fire department. You know, they 40 minutes. They just, I mean, I can do more with my garden hose in 40 minutes, <laughs> at least something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and some of these housing developments that they're building are so close together and so tight that the, mm-hmm. the road curves, a fire truck engine, one of the big ones can't even make a turn in there. Really? So if, if one of the houses, yeah, if one of the houses catches fire, well, the fire department can't get to you. So, <laughs> I hope is this you have disclosed? a good evacuation plan. Well, let me ask a stupid rhetorical question. Is this disclosed to the future homeowners? I have, I, that's a good question. I don't know. I learned about this from speaking with someone in, at the fire department. He came to one of the local community action meetings, and he informed us of this as well as the response time and the fact that they don't have enough resources for the development that's being built, just like our schools are all overcrowded. I mean, that's happening in lots of places, and the schools mm-hmm. are jam-packed. And, and, and you don't think you have illegal aliens? You've got too many people moving in, too many kids, and you've got illegal aliens on top of that. Betcha, betcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Let's get your so, uh, yeah, there's get a, your fire department person on the show. <laughs> I want to get your fire department person yeah. on the show. Yeah. Oh yeah. And this is a podcast you can share too. So uh, let's find out how bad this is. And would you would you be willing to put up a sign? Just find your local sign maker and say, "Welcome to you know Garden Valley, where the fire department can't reach your house because the roads curve too much." I mean, that'd be a great sign to post outside of housing development. That would be hysterical. I make yeah. a video of it. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. It'll be on the it'll be on the podcast. So when you listen to it, besides your husband will tell you anyway. He's listening intently. Yes, he is. He'll <laughs> Taking notes, I'm sure. He's probably sent you a text already. Yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on it. Going to a printer today. He's probably painting the sign right now. But, you might have a spray can already. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> but the the issue is is that they they're more concerned with padding their their pockets through kickbacks from developers than they are that the community. And they're they've said that we can't build schools because we don't have the population yet to build a school. Mm-hmm. So we're going to bring all these people in mm-hmm. and have all these houses. And then it's going to take what, four to six years to build a school. Mm-hmm. Well, then we can't even staff the schools that we have. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's, there's a big, if you, if, for people who are able to take a step back and look at the big picture of it, mm-hmm. then it, we're only headed towards disaster. And from what I understand, a lot of the influential people in this county, they have properties in other states. Hmm. Where, That's convenient. Yeah. To where they can <laughs> just, you know, screw, screw up the county and then just peace out. So, yeah, I can see him in the Bahamas now. You know, uh, yeah, I got my my property, I got my beachfront property in Nassau. Yeah, I'll see you later. Yeah, there is a, there is a solution. Now, let, let me before I before I mention my solution. So, what would you do? What could you do as an activist faced with with overcrowded schools and people moving in like crazy? Let, let's just talk about the school situation. What's what's a what's a possible outcome that would be out of the box thinking? Well, a lot of people are pulling their kids out of schools to either homeschool or. Uh, private school or micro schools are now um, What's becoming, a micro a, becoming a thing. Tell me micro, micro schools. schools. I think are I know kind what of that like is, pods. Okay. So it's like a, kind of like a pod school where you have a location, say like in a church or something where they do, they already have classrooms set up because of mm-hmm. you know, Sunday school and they have somebody, you know, an instructor or teacher come in and, you know, teach a group of kids you know, Monday through Friday in just a small setting. So, um, you know, so there, there's options that parents have. And I think that that's happening a lot more. But the issue is, is that those are short-term solutions, but they're not fixing the long-term problems because a lot of these kids who are in these public schools are the ones who are going to be our future teachers, our future doctors, our future political leaders. And so we can't forget about those kids and just think about short-sighted about our own family. It's great that you want to, you know, protect your kids and get your kids out of there to do something. But while you're doing that and you trust your kids are getting the education that you want them to get, you can't forget about all these other kids who are just left to be swallowed up by the system. So that's what I tell unless, people. Unless you close your government schools down and make them all private schools. Yep. Ooh. That would be great too. Okay, so now <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for I'm looking for a test 
counties to do this. And this is my recommendation during COVID uh, when all the, the government schools closed down. And I said, this is fabulous. This is a huge opportunity. They're closed down. The teachers are on beaches in Buenos Aires, still getting their salaries. I said, fire them all. I said, close those government schools down, sell the buildings to private schools, close the entire government school system down, reopen it as a, as a uh, private school system in the fall, and we won't have a problem. No teachers unions. There'll be all kinds of issues to be solved. And everybody said it was a nutcase. And then, of course, the schools opened up with all the same problems again. And guess what? They said, gee, Greg, that was a good idea. I'm like, gee, it's too late. I told you when the opportunity was. I told you that opportunity would end, and now it's gone, and it's too late. You've you, you got to act during the window of opportunity. Okay, so you've got a window of opportunity. Well, don't worry. There's, there's another pandemic around the corner, I'm sure. So there will probably be another opportunity. Hopefully people have learned the first <laughs> After the yeah, but don't, don't wait for that one. You don't want to wait for that one. What you want to do, yeah. I'm thinking, uh, is to, and if you, if you guys are strong enough, because we've got Moms for Liberty here. I don't think we have your group. Uh, we probably should. Um, but, uh, the, but the problem is that this is a time to say, okay, maybe we need a real alternative. Uh, if you could have a, a voucher system or, or if you could have a reduction in, uh, uh, in other words, a reimbursement. So whatever money is collected in property tax that goes to education, if people are homeschooling, give that money back to them. Because they're not paying for the government schools. And if anybody donates, well, and wants to donate money to a homeschool. Go ahead. Yeah, I think it's HB1 that passed that where the money follows the kid. And so oh, the first okay. year, I think there's only um, a, a small, I can't remember the exact number, but there's a small handful of families that can apply for the scholarship to, mm-hmm. that, are, that are homeschooling, that can receive that, that annual money for their, for their child for the homeschooling environment. And over the next consecutive years, the number is going to increase to where maybe in five years or something down the road, then it'll, that's how it'll be, where you know, these homeschools or these micro schools can have the option of having that public funding money for their homeschooling environment. So that's perfect. Okay, is that based on the Arizona law? I mean, this is news to me. So um um, playing a little catch up here. And then was that just past this session? Yes. Good. That's what you need then. Okay. So problem yeah. solved. Go with that. That seems like a, yeah. the perfect solution. But if you can get money into people's hands, you know, for homeschooling, in other words, people should not have to pay for school twice. You should not have to pay right. taxes for a government education. In fact, I don't even think people who, because they're taxing people that don't have kids for a government education. Yes. Yep. You know, so 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 that should so people so it should all be done by voucher, and anybody who wants to donate their voucher who doesn't have kids to a government school, okay, fine. I think most people donate to a private school or a home school or friends of theirs. That would make more sense. Yeah. Okay. Got about five minutes left. I don't want to uh, monopolize everything. So anything that we haven't covered, any part of the group, any uh, contact information, uh, anything you want to uh, talk about now, now would be a good time. Uh, it's this hour went pretty fast. So, I thought, really? you know, it, it usually yeah. does. I know. Yeah. I, yeah. I looked down and I was like, oh my gosh, it's almost 10 o'clock. Well, my uh-huh. time. Surprise. So, well, 9 o'clock here. So, yeah. Citizens Defending Freedom, I just want to kind of briefly say what we are. So, Citizens Defending Freedom is just to uh, empower and equip American citizens to defend their liberties at the local level. So, we focus on just local issues. We believe that, you know, we can't change the country, but if we can change, you know, one county at a time, then eventually we'll save our country. So, um, we focus on education, election integrity, and faith and freedom. And, of course, <clears throat> medical freedom falls under the faith and freedom pillar. And we're in just uh, 
a few, you know, a handful of counties right now. And uh, so that, that's essentially what we do. Um, our, our website is citizensdefendingfreedom.com. And all the information about what we do, ways to help, um, you know, contribute or help donate. Also, there's a lot of articles and news stories in there about what we've done in other states and other counties. And um, Osceola County, like down at the bottom, there's different locations, and uh, you can search the different locations to see you know, where we're at and look at the different websites for the different counties. So, um, yep, that's what, that's what we're about. That's what we're doing. And I'm very blessed to have been given this opportunity to help lead these efforts in Osceola County. And I believe that God put me here for a reason, and it's to help help the children and help the citizens here. So that's what we're, we're about in teaching Constitution. We teach Constitutional Alive and Biblical Citizenship through Patriot Academy because we believe that the Constitution is a living, breathing document and it's been forgotten about. And that's why we're seeing what we're seeing right now because people have forgotten what their rights are. And we need to reclaim those and, and educate and make sure that people are aware of you know, their rights and standing up for them. How, how That's fabulous. That? Three minutes? Now, did you, did you, <laughs> you know, great. In fact, I've got, to, I've got Tony Lyons, my next guest on the line now, so I'm going to take him a little, a little bit early. But you just said Patriot Academy? Yeah. Do you work so we with have them? A, we have a, we, yeah, we have a partnership with Patriot Academy. Okay, we got to talk. Because our youngest reporter, <laughs> Brianna Cannon, she's 16. She does a government inquiry report. Tuesdays, Tuesday mornings at 7 o'clock, so it's 8 o'clock your time. You should listen in. In fact, you should probably call her at some point because she's brilliant, and she's been to Patriot Academy. And in fact, she's working on some legislation right now. I think uh, – I'm not sure what it is. I think maybe a security clearance for anybody in Congress who, who uh, serves on intelligence or, anything, or some of the other committees. So she's brilliant. So we've we got to talk about the Patriot Academy. That is incredible. That's good to yeah. know. Yeah. yeah. Anything else in closing? This is fabulous. Um, yeah, not that I can think of. I'd love to be able to come back another time and talk a little bit more about some of the things that maybe we didn't get a chance to hit on. You're welcome anytime you want. You don't even need an invitation. You're a standing invitation right now. So you want to call? If a subject interests you, fine. If you want to schedule an hour, we'll do it again soon. In fact, if you want a regular report, you know, maybe like once a month check-in or something like that, just let me know. I'd be more than happy to put you on. Awesome. I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity and to share a little bit about me and about what we do. And I love your show. I listen to it all the time. And I'm you know, excited to see the, the impact that, that you and your guests are making in our country. Wow, you're my new best friend. Thank this you. is great. <laughs> no, I love it. This is going to be fun. So, yeah, so thank you. You can Venmo me the money that you promised me for, saying, for that plug. Oh, is that what it is? Okay, fine. Yes, this paid performance brought to you by Action Radio Slush Fund to Chris Osceola. You know, so uh, there we go. Okay, fine. Sounds good. Yeah, you're, you're gonna be. Yeah, you definitely be a regular. All right, let me let you go because I want to get to uh, uh, Tony. He sounds yep. like a, a fabulous person. And thank you so much, Chris. We will awesome. be absolutely talking soon. All right. Thank you. Take care. All right. You take care too. And go, go get them. You know, use humor, use ridicule, use all the things you can. All right. Let's get to our guest of the day. Mr. Tony Lyons. So this is going to be a whole lot of fun. Uh, I managed to pull something off his website. And so uh, 
Let me see if I can pull up here. Here we go. I found it. I got so many notes on my website. He is president and publisher at Skyhorse, an attorney, uh, publisher at the Lions Press between 1997 and 2004. He founded Skyhorse in 2006 and has been involved with every aspect of the book publishing process, starting with a small team of people, some of whom he still works with, uh, still work for Skyhorse. And then it says Tony has steadily built the company from a startup to an increasingly prominent mid-sized publisher. Let's bring him on right now. Mr. Tony Lyons. Make his wine live, and it should be live. There it goes. There it's live. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Good. How you doing? I'm having a great time. Um, I was reading your bio, reading your website, uh, reading all kinds of things, uh, and I was really anxious to talk to you for a whole bunch of reasons. But first of all, let's get, uh, let's get you a, a, a – here we go. Let's get you a cheer here and welcome you to the action. There we go. So this has been a fun day. I just had a local activist, and we heard her story, and now uh, I want to talk to you about all the all kinds of things with the book publishing, with censorship, with everything else. Um, I have a full hour for you, but if you have to go out you know, in half an hour, let me know. But if you want to stick around, you're perfectly welcome to. Um, so bio, yeah, we, anything well, else you want? Uh, go ahead. Yeah, I've got about 45 minutes, but I would, I would love to spend that time. Oh, good. Thank you. Well, let's start with uh, Skyhorse. Uh, I got your bio right off the website. And anything you want to add to that? And, uh, and then tell me about Skyhorse Publishing. Uh, what is it, what you do, and what makes it special? Yeah, so I started it about uh, 16 years ago, and we published an incredibly large number of many of the books that are really close to my heart are, are the books by Robert F. Kennedy Jr., the books by Alan Dershowitz, uh, some by um, uh, Mr. Woody Allen, and, uh, you know, and a, and a, and a dozen other uh, uh, writers who have been canceled or censored in some way. And, I, and I've really taken up the mantle of, of fighting censorship and corruption and trying to find authors who, who are actually, you know, actively doing that. And, you know, what I've been seeing in the last couple of years of, you know, doctors and scientists and lawyers uh, you know, being censored, being shut down in a country that claims to be a democracy, you know, I've found that it's, it's just shocking. And now to have Robert F. Kennedy Jr. running for president and being censored, you know, and, and being vilified and having hit pieces, you know, this, this sort of standard playbook, it's one mm-hmm. thing to do that with a book, but it's something different to do it with a presidential candidate. Well, not after Trump. I mean, they established a principle that anybody could be canceled. If you, you know, the arrogance. Do you remember the hearings? Do you remember when they had the uh, the person, the woman before Congress, who who actually canceled Trump's account? The arrogance. Well, well, we have to protect the public from from false information. We have to uh, we have to make sure that no hate speech or you know we have to tell the truth. And when did when did she become the monopoly of truth? When did she become the the virtuous one that is is the, our guardian angel? You know, silencing a president of the United States. The arrogance of that. The arrogance of the left, the arrogance of the censorship is, is unbelievable. Tony? Definitely. I mean, I mean the, the most important right that we have in this country is freedom of speech. All of the other rights come out of that. So the idea that you could cancel or censor or kick off big tech platforms, the president of the United States, mm-hmm. you know, when I saw that happen at the time, I was telling people, this has nothing to do with whether you like President Trump or not. Mm-hmm. This has to do with whether you value 
the rights that we have in this country. Because when you give up rights, it's not easy to get them back. You know, when the government takes your rights, when big corporations collude with the government to force you to do things, to force, Mm -hmm. you know, you to make choices that they want you to make or force you to put things in your body that you know aren't good for you or that you suspect might not be good for you, you know, all of those kinds of things, those are rights that are hard to get back. And people fought and died. They grappled. They, they did everything they could. They traveled from all around the world to get to this country to have those kinds of rights. So to see those rights from them now and to see that done under the mantle of sort of like protecting the public from misinformation or disinformation or domestic terrorism or, you know, conspiracy theories, any of those words, those words are not arguments. Those words are a smokescreen. They are trying to fool the American public by using those words because they don't have arguments that will convince people. Yeah, they've got an agenda, too. Just to give you our history uh, here real quickly, um, we like to think of Action Radio as, as the most unique show in the world because we actually have a citizen legislature. We write bills. Um, I have a bill on vaccine product liability. <clears throat> I'm trying to get it to uh, Robert Francis Kennedy Jr. In fact, uh, my very good friend, Dr. Judy Mikovits, is friends with RFK, and we're hoping that he'll endorse that bill. Uh, same with our, our big tech uh, ending censorship bill. Um, but as far as uh, you know, our history here, um, I came out, I wrote a bill back in February 27th of 2020. This is like two weeks before the, the 15 days to slow the spread, saying that Congress could only spend half their money on vaccines because I didn't trust them. The other half with, you know, the anthrax and Gulf War syndrome. And the other half had to be spent on early treatment because I'd already read the Didier Raoult study in Marseille, France. Uh, I later became friends with uh, uh, Dr. Zelenko through a, through a mutual friend. He was on the show. We wrote a bill reforming the FDA. But I was already calling, calling it a bioweapon in February. You know, this is a flu bug. And the response that the only response, you know, that, that could be was vaccines made no sense to me, made no sense at all. And so we came out against it. March 2nd, I made a broadcast saying that we've got chloroquine. This is a hoax. This government, well, the virus isn't a hoax, but the, uh, but the government response certainly is. And guess what happened to us? Censorship. So when you talk about censorship, this is really close to my heart because I figure we could have saved, you know, a, a good portion of the million uh, lives that were lost if not for the government policy. You know, we call it the remdesivir ventilator death march, you know, and I call him Dr. Fascist. You know exactly who I'm talking about. And uh, I wrote an article recently on uh, Substack that the cure for COVID was freedom. If we had the First Amendment, if we had the information out there, we could have easily saved all those people and we wouldn't have to borrow $7 trillion and we wouldn't have lost, you know, upwards of a million victims, which really died of government policy. What do you think? Yeah, I could not agree more. I mean, Judy Mikovits, is a, is a classic case of, you know, she's this incredibly intelligent uh, writer, researcher, thinker, scientist, doctor. Uh-huh. Um, Have you ever talked to her? And many times, yeah. I, I saw her last week in, uh, in Texas. She's on the line right now. Let me bring her on. Oh, yeah, great. Bring her hey, on. Hey, Judy. Well, welcome to the show, Judy. Hey, Greg. Good morning. Good morning. Uh-oh, you got a cold? What's going on there? You, you working too hard no, again? No, I always, I always lose my voice when I talk all week. <laughs> what I figured. Anyway, uh, so we got funny lines. Obviously, you knew that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm okay. listening. Thank you. I'll go back oh, you're very to welcome. Zeus. I'm listening. Okay. 
Okay. Well, I'll, I'll leave your line live. So if you want to mute yourself, that's fine. But you're, gonna, you're welcome to join us at any time. Uh, in fact, uh, Tony, any message you want to pass on, that'll go on the podcast. So feel free. Uh, Judy's a regular. She was part of our World's Greatest Doctors panel for 18 weeks. Three hours a day on oh Thursdays. We had Judy. We had uh, John Cullen, the data expert that made the COVID map for John Hoskins, Johns Hopkins. We had uh, Brian Artis. We had uh, a guest like Christine Northrup. Christian Northrup, we had uh, Brandon House was on, you know, as guests. It was just unbelievable. I, in fact, I can send you all the uh, all 18 weeks uh, podcast. It's an incredible amount of information. Judy is the foremost proponent of our vaccine product liability bill. So we always give you know, Judy congratulations for helping us out. Yeah, Judy has written three phenomenal books for us. Uh, Plague hmm. was the first one, Plague of Corruption, and then Ending Plague. And she was subjected to all of the same censorship that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. was, you know, where these incredible books come out. They don't get reviews in any mainstream newspapers. You know, libraries don't carry them. Privately owned bookstores don't carry them. Barnes and Noble doesn't carry them. I mean, it's, it's such an incredible fight to get attention for them. And, but Judy is one of the heroes of, of this whole movement and, and not just for, you know, two years or three years, she's been at this for, I don't know, 20 years, right? Yeah, at least. You know, went, ever since uh, yeah, I mean, the original. To, Go ahead, Judy. Sorry. 40, 40 years, June 10th, 1980. Wow. Well, listen, yeah, uh, Tony, you're kind of a hero, too, because we don't get published. I mean, I have a, a book I'll talk to you about you know, briefly in a bit, but unless you publish folks like Judy and Alan Dershowitz and Woody Allen and some of these other folks. Philip Roth, I don't know, um, but I'll get to him in a bit because that was in the information uh, that I got to read about about you. But if you don't publish these people, you know, then the word doesn't get out. I mean, the censorship is so horrible. So you're on a mission, too. So there's a cooperation. First of all, people have to write the books. Then they have to get out there. And we have to find ways to, to get into media to report them. And shows like mine and everybody else, hopefully, can get the word out. But you've got bestsellers that are not being covered in the media at all. I think uh, Robert Francis Kennedy's yeah, I mean, book. Uh, you know, up you know. until, uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, you know, up until about uh, two years, yeah, it's probably been two years now that I've been going on to shows my, myself. I had never done that. I've been in publishing for 30 years. Hmm. I don't think any other publisher, but I've been doing this all, all day long now for a very long time hmm. and, uh, you know, trying to run the company in, in the off hours. But I'm on six shows today. Oh, wow. About the book that we're publishing. Do you get grief from other publishers? Are they trying to suppress you, your, your fellow publishing industry people? Uh, you know, I think a lot of them uh, hate what I'm doing. Uh, many huh. of them say that they hate what I'm doing. But, uh, but, you know, there's not much they can do about it. I mean, Skyhorse is privately owned. Um, so... You know, there's no way to really shut us down other than, you know, with censorship, they can make it very difficult to sell books. And mm-hmm. and they routinely do that. Um, but, you know, this is one way to fight back. So coming on to a show like this and talking about Judy Mikovits and about Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and, you know, so many other writers, um, you know, is a way to let the public know that these things that these books exist and that they're serious and that the censorship of them is not to protect the public. It's to protect their power 
and to protect their greed and their corruption. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you're definitely among friends here, and, and this, is, this is fabulous. Um, I see this election a little differently, and I'm curious your take on this uh, as well, that if you look at Donald Trump, he's hated by the Republican establishment, uh, and look at uh, Robert Francis Kennedy, he's hated by the Democrat establishment. So you've got two, this is like, the, I call this the first non-deep state election in decades, because you've got two outsiders in their own parties, and I'm seeing a potential for some incredible cooperation here. I mean, my dream is that, that Donald Trump wins and that uh, RFK heads up uh, Health and Human Services and fixes all this nonsense that's going on there because that's his area of expertise. And we're on the EPA, too. You know, I mean, I mean, I don't agree with either one of them on everything, as we all say, our disclaimers. But they, I think they have more potential to work together and at least campaigning, you know, make it a civil campaign where they disagree on the issues, but they don't call each other names and all the other sleazy things that happen with the dirty tricks with all the establishment candidates. Do you see this election as different? I see it as very different. I mean, I, and, I, and I do think that many of the things that, that happened to Trump and that happened to Trump now are the mm-hmm. same kinds of things that happened to Robert F. Kennedy Jr. That when, mm-hmm. you know, Kennedy went on to ABC News and they kind of bookended with disclaimers, they say it's all misinformation. Um, you know, that seems to me to be unconstitutional in the same way that taking President Trump off Twitter seemed to me to be be the worst thing that can happen in a democracy where, you know, the deep state is able to kind of come in and censor a president. I mean, if that can happen, nobody's safe. And it has nothing to do with whether you like President Trump or whether Mm -hmm. you like Robert F. Kennedy Jr. I mean, you can't even adequately decide whether you like Trump or Kennedy if you can't hear them, if you can't hear their arguments. And, and that's what a democracy is supposed to be all about. It's about people making arguments to convince you of what's right and presenting data to you and presenting science. So the idea that Dr. Fauci, for example, you know, that his science is real science just because he says it is, not because <laughs> he presents anything to you. He says yeah. it's anti-science to disagree. And as I'm sure Judy would say, you know, Science is all about disagreement. It's about presenting your evidence and making the best argument that convinces people, that proves to people that your argument's right, not by threatening people, not by propaganda, not by censorship, but by having ideas that stand up. Well, I got an easier test. You know, it's interesting. Most of the people that took ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and zinc followed the Zelenko protocol, Judy's recommendations. They're still here. The people that went on the remdesivir ventilator death march as approved by, uh, you know, I call them Dr. Fascist and the health Nazis, they're not here. I mean, the evidence is overwhelming of what works and what doesn't. So you want to follow the science? Follow the people that are still here and what worked. I, mean, I don't think there's an well, easier like test what, than that. Judy, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, and they, they killed the people who did the hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. So they deliberately kidnapped them in the hospitals and killed them, literally murdered the people like me and my friends, um, you know, including my husband and daughter-in-law, killed them when they took bad. I have people on the show, uh, I've had Scott Shera, who lost his daughter, uh, and uh, Rebecca Charles lost her daughter. They're setting websites now, Death by Hospital Protocol. There's a whole movement. I don't know if you, if you follow this or anybody's writing a book on this, but there's a movement of people who lost their loved ones to Death by Hospital. And uh, is anything coming out on that that you know that you can tell me about? Because yeah, this is a growing phenomenon in the country right now. 
Tony? Yeah, I don't know of a book that's coming out yet, but I, I, I think that would be a great topic for a book. I mean, somebody just proposed a book to me on the doctors who have been killed because that's a oh, big story. Interesting. Um, and, I mean, okay. Judy, do you want to weigh in on that? But, I mean, that's a, that's a big story that's been kind of percolating for a while. And, uh, yeah. and, I, and I've gotten a pretty good proposal on it. Cool. Judy? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I do want to weigh in on it. And yesterday, well, I'm, uh, yeah, all of the data of the, of the doctors that have been killed over the decades, like uh, uh, Jeff Bradstreet, uh, you know, literally murdered, shot and, and murdered in 2017 when we were presenting at Autism One how these very things, GCMAF, uh, GCMAF, um, uh, therapies would like ceramine would, would, would end autism and get kids to talking again. You know, the dead doctors over the, um, who mysteriously die suddenly and other things. And of course, Rashid Buttar, who was poisoned about six months ago and, and using a lot of the techniques. I mean, he was literally in the ICU. We were talking about it two weeks ago. We were supposed to go to the advanced medicines conference. You could see Lee Merritt and I, um, you know, and a lot of others, Brian Artist, we were supposed to be there showing you know, the cures, and then all of a sudden they're suddenly dead. Um, and, and, and other people, other, other whistleblowers and healthcare practitioners, I think of Brandy Vaughn, who was the Merck whistleblower, all about the Vioxx stuff years ago. So, yeah, we've been, we've been out on that road picking up the swords, um, you know, k- kissing our dead comrades and moving forward for for quite a long time now and they just they just keep doing it. Um yesterday, by the way, on the high wire. Um if everybody in your audience, Greg, doesn't listen to you and the high wire every week, I just block out my calendar. Um yesterday <laughs> Thank was beautiful you. They literally showed how the scientific literature, this is the Jackson Report, Jeffrey Jackson and, and Dale. Um, and, and Jeffrey used to be, he was one of the first people they interview, interviewed me back in 16, 17, when I got out of you know, prison the, the, where I couldn't talk. In fact, our first book, Plague, with Ken Peck and Lively as my, my attorney, our first book, Plague, is literally a legal defense. It was the only way I could talk between 11 and 14. And the book came out at the end of 14, you know, thanks to Tony Lyons and others. And so, yeah, the, the doctors end up dead and, and or canceled and nobody hears the message. Probably the worst thing in my life was sitting from 11 to 14 knowing full well what was going to happen? Not even expect. Nobody could have expected the government would just premeditatedly murder eight percent of America. Ed Dowd's work. He and I were sitting in in Maui, and he's like, "I don't get it, Judy." Doing a presentation. Why are they all women? <laughs> and I said, "You haven't read Plague, have you?" Yeah, women, the children, and and the high wire yesterday just blew it away with the history of the corruption. Let's and I I remember saying this over and over again about the Oliver Wendell Holmes Supreme Court decision in Virginia somewhere in the early 1900s, because my mom let us know that, us Cherokee Indians growing up in Virginia, that that, uh, the decision, three generations of imbeciles are enough. The idea that the CDC and COVID 
was murdering um, the children. I think of the little girl with Down syndrome and my friend Kevin Tuttle and, and, and that they literally, like my husband, the elderly, you decided you could kill them. You decided you could kill them. And that's what the show, Jeffrey Jackson Report, watch it if you can. It, it, yeah. it will set. Now, this was a genocide. This was M- Margaret Sanger. This was, you know, those of us in science, um, in true science, have been screaming from the rooftop at this cult. They're, they're just, they're, the literature is propaganda. It's, it's criminal fraud. I only yeah. show data. It's not my opinion. You prove it, we proved it. Over and over again, we knew how to cure AIDS and cancer. And I'm going to use this word. They caused it, and we cured it. And we have the proof of that. And, in fact, yesterday there was a drug shortage. They're they're showing you a drug shortage on the other part of the Jackson Report. Oh, we don't have cancer drugs. Yeah, we do. Because we have a patent. You know that patent nobody can read when they read my bio, where you use natural products, botanicals, plants, Things like hydroxychloroquine. Hey, Judy. You protect the pathways and use low dose. Yes, sir. I'll let you get back on. <laughs> I, I got to hold you because I only have Tony for a limited amount of time. And of That's all right. I'll let you go, but that is You know you can come back on the show anytime. Yeah. Okay. No, but let me just say that I – let me just say that I that I really like Judy talking, and I'm and I'm, and I'm Why happy you? to stay on. <laughs> okay, well, if you can show. stick around longer. But I want to cover a bunch of different things with you. And, uh, of course, Judy, like I say, is a, it can always call the show. Uh, she's always welcome here. But, I, but your first time, and I've got a couple of things. For someone, you know, I'll use myself as an example, and this might be something we can talk off the air. I wrote a book uh, back in uh, 92. It was published in 94 called The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. I used to be a flight instructor. And I saw huge problems with the way the FAA was training uh, people how to fly. And I think it was a major reason we have so many private airplane accidents. Um, that are going on. I happen to think that uh, Judy might be way on this one later, that uh, the Cessna citation, the crash, I think could very possibly have been a COVID shot. But as far as general aviation accidents, so I, so I wrote a book. So, but the publisher, I'm pretty sure it's out of business because I can't find them. It's Rainbow Books from Lakeland, Florida. So for someone like me that had a book out there that once my show gets you know, world famous and I have you know, 10 million listeners, there's going to be a demand for that book. You know, somebody like me, could I come to you or could new writers come to you and make proposals for books? How do, how do people get to you and, and, and how can you help people as far as writers go? Yeah, definitely. That's a great question. So I get about 100 proposals each day personally. Wow. And then I wow. have uh, nine other people who edit for Skyhorse uh, okay. full time. So those those people. So So what I do is I get books in and if it's something that you know, really touches me or, or, or that is on, you know, sort of a topic that I, that I really know about and, and care about, mm-hmm. then I'll look at it myself. And if it's something that I, that I think looks promising but, but isn't right for me, then I'll give it to one of the nine other people. Okay. So, so someone okay. – but this is, I think, a problem with, with new writers, especially until you're known. You know, Simon & Schuster wants to have, they want to sell, what, 50 million books before they'll, they'll talk to you. How does a new writer get started? Yeah, so especially if they're controversial. You know, that, that hard work really pays off, um, you know, not just in, on, the, on the writing side, because people know that. But to, to launch a book, you really have to have a, have a team and you have to have a platform. And okay. so you have to take time to, to build that, you know, whether you, you know, go on to social media and work hard for six months to a year to get a bunch of followers and really 
correspond with them and engage them and tell them about the work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, Judy has had people who she's working closely with now who really care about her. And, you know, any serious author has to do that. Um, okay. I mean, I have come to me now and then now. There's a clause in our contract that says that, that we're asking people to get five blurbs from, you know, somebody who they know closely or somebody famous, just, just anybody, just five people who will say, you know, who will read their book before publication and say something nice. And so many authors feel that, that that's an imposition. And so, hmm. you know, a serious author ought to be able to get 100 people that in the whole process of writing a book, they, they should be making connections. And, you know, if it's a book like, like Judy's books, you know, they're coming in contact with a lot of people who are helping right. them, who are, who are looking at it, who are critiquing it for them. All of those people ought to write a blurb. All of those people ought to put it on their websites, on their, you know, Instagrams, Facebook, anywhere else. Um, you know, if you really build that kind of team, you're so mm-hmm. much more likely to succeed when you get a book published. But it also makes a great statement that you can send to a publisher and you can say, hey, these are the things that I've been doing simultaneously with the writing of this book, that I've built up this sort of backdrop of people who believe in me, who believe in, in what I'm doing and are willing to help me. Interesting. Yeah, because I have another idea, too. I'll, like I said, it'll be a, an off-the-air kind of thing. But, um, yeah, and if people don't think – well, like you have different sections of Skyhorse. Like, would would you have a, an aviation section for you know people aspiring pilots want to might want an insight into the flight training system that I provide, for example? Or there, yeah, well, mean, what kind of sections do you have? Yeah, so so with aviation, you probably know what Far Aim is, right? Is it, which one now? Uh, it's a it's a book that it's, it's a yearly book that oh Far Aim oh yeah the FAR all... here we come the FARs yeah the the Federal Aviation right, right, Regulations right. the Airman's Information Manual yes I know exactly studied yeah, so it we, excruciatingly we, detailed <laughs> yeah yeah so we we publish that each year and we publish uh-huh. the airplane flying handbook okay. and the pilot handbook of uh, uh, aeronautical information mm-hmm. and you know maybe a dozen others. So, you know, that's a category we've been publishing in for about 10 years. So it's more than just controversial political books. There's a whole different – there's there's multiple things going on at Skyhorse. Yeah, so we, we've, we've been publishing, you know, for, for several years, we were publishing more than 1,000 books per year. Uh-huh. Uh, I've been cutting that down drastically because I want to be able to, you know, just in the last two years, like I said, I've been going on to shows myself, and that leads – leaves me much less time to do other things. So I've been thinking of, you know, continuing to cut down drastically on the number of titles that, that we do so that I can really personally get behind every one of them. That's fascinating. Yeah, and uh, like I say, Judy's books, and anything you do to help her is, 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 is amazing. Let me talk about some of the, the, the more controversial characters. You remind me uh, of like when Alan Dershowitz defends people that are unpopular. You know, like when he defends Trump as a liberal. I mean, this is what, you know, you do it because it's the right thing to do. You're publishing these people because it's the right thing to do. You may not even agree with all of them, but these voices have to get out there. Or we, we you know, can't, can't survive as, as a society. Um, Woody Allen. That struck me as interesting that, uh, that you've helped him out. I, I'm old enough to uh, remember when uh, Sleeper first came out. 
and I was a bit young for bananas. Uh, but he had another movie, Everything You Want to Know About Sex, but We're Afraid to Ask, and uh, some of the other things, Annie Hall, a little bit later. Woody Allen had this controversy. So, so how did you do a book by him? And, and I'm not familiar with, with what the book's about. But he's an interesting character. How did he come to Scotland? Yeah, so the story is, is, is his personal story. It's his okay. memoir. And he's just kind of telling his entire history. And it's called Apropos of Nothing. And it's a beautifully written book. The story behind that is it was going to be published by a big publisher named Hachette. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had spent a lot of money on it, spent a lot of time. The senior people there all really liked it. And then when the book was just about to, to come out, he was sort of subjected to cancel culture um, where there were allegations that, you know, he had um, done bad things 30 years ago. And those things had been looked into 30 years ago when the allegations had first surfaced. Mm-hmm. And he was never indicted, never prosecuted. Um, you know, the government had had no uh, conviction that he had actually done the things that, that a couple of people said he did. And some of mm-hmm. his family members said it was absolutely untrue that it was all revenge. So it's a, it's a complicated story, but this is a democracy once again, and you're supposed to be innocent until you're pr- proven guilty. And, Woody Allen has not been proven guilty of anything. And there are a lot of people who believe very sincerely that these are untrue statements and, and claims. And, you know, until they're proven, he should mm-hmm. be able to get his book published. He should be able to go about his life in this country. And so Hachette tried to take that right away from him. And they canceled his book because they got a lot of pressure in this kind of woke cancel culture historical moment. And I saw that happen and I stepped in and I got the rights to it and, and published it. Oh, congratulations to you. Who's, who's doing, who's doing the pressure? Who's uh, why would people not want him? Is it just, uh, you know, colleagues, friends, different people around, or is it actual industries or Hollywood or, or who, who was against Woody Allen? So I think that uh, to some extent it's, it's his, his family, and his ex-girlfriend, Mia Farrow, and her son, um, so that they really went after him because they've been trying to punish him uh, because they're angry at him for unrelated things. So I think that that that's the story, and that they then encouraged young people at this publishing company to do what's become, sadly, more and more common, which is that they – come out, they make all kinds of claims, they, you know, pick it, they get people to threaten to cancel the publisher's books. So they think, oh, this is going to be bad for business. They think they're going to lose employees. And they, you know, take all of their values and throw them out the window and uh, just follow the kind of woke mob. Yeah. See, that's what I was intrigued by that. See, with Judy, Judy Mikovits, we know who's against her. Big Pharma, Dr. Fascist, the, you know, the whole crew. So it's pretty easy to see the opposition. Woody Allen seems a little different. How about Alan Dershowitz? Who, who, what, uh, what's his story? Yeah, so the Alan Dershowitz story is that, you know, he's always done things on, on principle. So he defends Trump, he says, not because he, he likes Trump necessarily, but because mm-hmm. he believes that Trump's constitutional rights 
have been infringed upon multiple times. So he's willing to stand up for people, whether or not he likes them personally, if he thinks that, uh, that their rights are improperly being taken from them. So I think that, that he, he does great things there, and we're at a time in our history where people don't appreciate that, you know, where people just want everything to be black and white. Either you're a Democrat, you're a Republican, either you're for Trump or you're not for, for Trump. And, and you should be willing, in, in, in their mind, to do anything, to, to lie, to steal an election, to, you know, uh, commit any kind of fraud if the outcome is to get what you want. And so the problem is that when you do those kinds of things, you know, that, you know, even like kicking Trump off Twitter, you know, mm-hmm. when you do those kinds of things, you've gone down a path that's hard to come back from. And you're, you're then saying that you're willing to give up your own personal rights to get something that you want in the short run. And, you know, like I said before, once you give up rights, it's not easy to get them back. Interesting. Yeah, I have a personal dream conversation I want to have with Alan Dershowitz. So uh, I may may impose, if it's at all possible, to get us connected. I've been trying to reach him for a couple of years. I want to challenge him on judicial review and on the Supreme Court and on them exceeding what I think is their constitutional authority. And so I'd love to have that debate with him uh, at some point. That I, I think you'd find that fascinating, too. So if you can help me out with yeah, that, my, my, you know, that would be, uh, I think, an amazing discussion because I've never heard anybody challenge him on those things. You know, on the on the things that uh, they're not lifetime appointments, they're good behavior. And let's get explained. And what is the extent of judicial review? So that's the kind of thing I would like yeah, to find out from him. Go ahead. No, notoriously willing to debate, um, you know, almost anything. So, for example, he he debated Robert F. Kennedy Jr. On, mm. You know, vaccines and on and on mandates. Um, okay. I I disagreed with his perspective, but I applauded his willingness to stand up and debate somebody that nobody else was willing to debate. You know, I mean, okay. uh, you know, President Biden, I think, is scared to death to, do, you know, to, to debate and to engage in real dialogue with RFK Jr. because he can't do it. He doesn't have the arguments. He doesn't have the ability to think on his feet. And he doesn't have any sort of moral courage. So he has a whole team of people, you know, that – where their sole job is to protect him from mm-hmm. having to speak, to, you know, protect him from having to answer any questions, you know, whether it's the things that he did in his personal life or his son or his policies or his views on, on, on vaccines or on anything else. So we have a president who is unable to defend his perspective and has to hide. And it's, and it's great to have people like Alan Dershowitz, who even when they might be wrong, are willing to debate anybody. And Robert F. Kennedy Jr., willing to debate anybody. I mean, Alan Dershowitz's book is Get Trump, The Threat to Civil Liberties, Due Process, and Our Constitutional Rule of Law. And mm-hmm. I think that that's so important, and that when you look at Robert F. Kennedy Jr. as a presidential candidate, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or an Independent, you would be getting an honest president. You would be getting a president who would defend your constitutional rights. And you're never going to agree with everything that somebody says. But mm-hmm. to get somebody who's going to defend 
those rights is so important because Biden's not going to do it for you. And Biden's not going to tell the truth. And Biden is obviously not honest. I mean, he lied to you. He lied to the American public about COVID. He's bowed down to the most corrupt and greedy people probably in history. His son may well have taken bribes from people that this country is, are, are, are fighting. So, mm-hmm. you know, these are important things that you need to have a candidate. You need to have a president who at least you can trust, who at least is going to protect your constitutional rights. Yeah, I mentioned this earlier. I want to bring Judy back on the conversation because I was talking about the fact that this is the first non-deep state uh, election in decades where you've got uh, uh, RFK, who's hated by the Democrat establishment, and uh, Trump, who's hated by the Republican establishment, basically the deep state. And so we have an incredible opportunity here. Um, So... Judy, like I say, is, is a foremost uh, proponent of our vaccine product liability bill, which very simply says that in the two places in law where it says that vaccine manufacturers shall not be liable uh, in a civil case, I say they shall be fully liable. It's an easy to understand bill. Judy's taking it everywhere. Um, let's talk about RFK for a minute. Judy, do you think that, uh, and you may, not, you may not be able to disclose this on the air. I don't know yet. We'll find out. But uh, I'm hoping that he will endorse our bill. I think that would be a, a, a turning point in politics to have a citizen-written bill be endorsed by a, a major candidate for president. Yeah, well, I haven't been able to get an answer from him because I think he's a little busy right now. Um, well, I know, he, yeah, does. that's why I ask you that, you know, you may not be able to tell me, but I still like that question anyway. I actually have a bigger, a bigger pipe dream on that because my two okay. favorite environment lawyers are are not only Bobby Kennedy Jr., but Mike Hugo, Michael R. Hugo, with Barbara Lowe Fisher in 1984. He was winning the loss of vaccine yeah. injury. So, the, yeah, shot in the dark. The first, the original, that Candace Owens, you know, d- delightful three, you know, three generations later, the kids are seeing us, and we appreciate that. Um, but uh, we also, but he, Michael Hugo, wrote the law, and, of course, the vaccine injury, um, Compensation Act, and and the court was just totally corrupted by HHS at every step of the way. The movie by Andy Wakefield's company is 1986 The Act. You can get it at 1986theact.com. But my pipe dream is that um, you know whether Trump, I, I'm I'm back to University of Virginia and Thomas Jefferson's uh, time when the when the opponent um, when the loser is the vice president. So my my pipe dream is like the book A Team of Rivals. If Tony knows that a team of rivals, and uh, and you put it together, and the attorney general um, is Michael Hugo. So now you've got an honest attorney general. They can take that bill apart in a heartbeat and make it work the way it did in the beginning. And if you see the way it did in the beginning, vaccines would have been over um, because they were causing that much injury. And so the corruption by HHS, you know, um, and and every step of the way. Um, 2011 was the last one, the Bruchowitz decision, after we Mm -hmm. proved the XMRVs after we proved the neurological injury and cancer from these synthetic bioweapons injected intended to kill only the person and spread through their family like shrapnel. So at any rate, that's my pipe dream on the election. No matter who wins, um, the the candidate, the the Trump Trump president, Bobby, he asked Bobby to be the vice president just the way. I wish you would too. 
That's, yeah, I got a question. That's my goal. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> well, let's ask yep. Tony about this because uh, as a publisher, how how politically active do you want to be, can be? Um, can you, for example, advocate our vaccine bill if you're interested in it? Uh, would you be able to talk to Robert Francis Kennedy uh, and, and Trump and maybe get them together somewhere in a forum? How, how much can you do in this? Yeah, my feeling is that I, like anybody else in this country, ought to do as much as they possibly can. Okay. So, you know, on the one hand, um, I co-founded a super PAC called American Values 2024, which is okay. for Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and it's AmericanValues2024.org. And we're, we're also publishing a book called The Real RFK Jr., Trials of a Truth Warrior by Dick Russell, who's a uh-huh. New York Times bestselling author. And the, and the point of that book is to cut through the censorship. So, you know, all of the things that people think they know about Bobby Kennedy are, you know, the product of propaganda and censorship and cancel culture and all of these fake words like misinformation and disinformation, which are just sort of anything that contradicts the government and the big pharmaceutical company narrative. So, so I think that, that those are a couple of things that I'm doing. I'd be more than happy to, to try to help get that in, in front of them. The one thing that I can't do as part of a, of, of a super PAC is mm-hmm. to coordinate in any way with a, with a campaign. But to, uh, to help get that in, in front of them, you know, is probably something that I, that I could help with. And, you know, Judy brought up um, one other book, uh, or, or, or she brought up uh, Ed Dowd. And I, I just mm-hmm. thought I would mention He's been Ed on the Dowd, show. Yeah, he's been on. Yeah, wrote a book called uh, Cause Unknown uh, that's all about the uh, sudden death in 2021 and 2022 uh, that, uh, that are so easily verifiable and that uh, he proves conclusively uh, come from COVID vaccines and that that's another thing that's just been subjected to censorship and propaganda so that oh, you yeah. can't read that story anywhere, yeah. you know, that it's, that it's so hard, but Dowd, you know, like Judy and, and, and like Bobby and, and so many other uh, writers and thinkers and lawyers and scientists have gone out and just gone on to show after show and gone on the road and talked to anybody who would listen. And, uh, you know, Dowd has, has done a great job getting that message out to the people who are, who are willing to hear it. Fascinating. Well, this is, I, I am a question for Judy and I've got a caller here and I don't, uh, you know, I do produce my own show, so I might have to leave you guys for a minute and see who's there. I'm not expecting anybody and they're new caller. They're not uh, on my, my list of folks that have called. So I might just drop out real quickly here, but, um, Judy, do you see what I'm seeing and what, what Tony's talking about? That there's a real convergence here of activism is changing. That whereas we used to be, you know, you, there were publishers, there were talk show hosts, there were doctors, there were researchers, and, and we're all kind of separate. And now we're all coming together. That those of us that have been cut out of everything, what the, what the left has done, what the deep state has done, what the Marxists have done in trying to separate us from the public, they've actually brought us all together. Yeah, exactly. It's like, okay. yes, I think exactly right. Like when we were kids, we couldn't read 1984 or a catcher in the rye. 
So those mm-hmm. are the books we were going to get no matter what and read them. And so we're back in that place where, where you know, largely thanks to Tony, he probably doesn't have any idea how he came to uh, to publish our book. Um, and it's just a fascinating story. Um, and I almost didn't let it get published, you know, I had to put this disclaimer in the first book, Plague, um, that made it sound like a raving, the ravings of a mad woman, and every single word of was a legal affidavit and def- declaration, proof the pudding. The Ninth Circuit Court had it six months before it was published. The FBI had it. This is just fun right now. So it's fun when we see the interactions and we watch the high wire. We have independent news. We have independent people, and we're, we're a network just, just literally having fun out there, learning and realizing we have the power, and each one of us can do something and have watch parties for these various shows and things like that, barbecues, because it's fabulous. What's happening right now just just reminds me, you know, of the 70s and 80s when when we, the people, you know, did everything we could to make our voices heard with Bobby, Martin Luther King, and John. You know, that's where we are back in true freedom now. uh, Again, as Tony said earlier, with an election that was a true Democrat, a true Republican, exactly what our founding forefathers had. You know, men who have proven their whole lives they'll defend this Constitution no matter what. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. This is, uh, like I say, I'm so excited about what's going on these days. Tony, did you have to go now? Because it's about 45 minutes in. Or do you yeah, have to yeah. I've got about another 60 seconds. So any, anything else that I could say that, that would be helpful? Uh, contact information, anything we forgot to talk about, um, come back as soon as you can. Um, you know, but I'd love to have you on. I really appreciate it. So I'll, I'll give you the last as much time as you have. Yeah, sure. So, you know, Skyhorse Publishing is at uh, skyhorsepublishing.com. Um, there's a place there to submit books. And, uh, and, I, and I glanced at, at all of the books that are sent in through that portal. And it, it is, like I said, something like 100 each day. So I, I can't mm-hmm. respond to all of them. Uh, then there's also my uh, Instagram, which is Tony Lyons is uncertain. And uh, you can probably figure out why I like that. That as a, as a, <laughs> as a um, that, you know, people shouldn't believe that they know everything without reading books. You know, they read books to, to find out things that they haven't heard before. And what happens so much now is that people read a book because they're a hundred percent sure that it's going to confirm every bias they've ever had. <laughs> so I'm, that's a bumper sticker. I'm that's brilliant. That hard. Yeah. You know, that's what the real Anthony Fauci was all about. That's what the real RFK Jr. was about. That's what Judy's book, Ending Plague, is about. I mean, all of these books are telling you stories that you can't hear anywhere else because they've been shut down. And so I think readers more and more want and, uh, and, and they can get that by, by reading these books. So That's thanks so much right. for having me on. I would love to come on, uh, you know, anytime you'll have me. Okay, and I'll put my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction, in your portal. So when you see it, you go, oh, I know that guy. He's Action Radio. <laughs> Thank you, Tony. Definitely. Right. Okay, thanks Take a lot. Care. All Bye. right, bye now. Tony Lyons, who is the producer, excuse me, uh, well, CEO, publisher of Skyhorse Publishing. I didn't get a chance to tell him about uh, our, our chief here, Chief Dan Skyhorse. Uh, maybe I'll get those two together because uh, Chief Dan is the uh, uh, chief of the local uh, Creek Band here and was a regular on the show for, for weeks and weeks. Um, I still have my mystery caller on the line, 
And so what I'm going to do is uh, play uh, – Judy, you're welcome to stick around. We've only got about 12 minutes left anyway. So I just want to play something really fast, um, and then uh, that will allow me to, to quickly go to our caller and, and find out who's on the line. Let me see what I'm going to play for you here. Yeah, a quick commercial. We'll be right back. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engine. Yeah, with two seconds to spare, <laughs> I actually just got back on. Um, it's Johanna, and it's, uh, it's, it's your agent, Judy. So uh, I just brought her on the show. And Johanna, your line's live now. So if you guys want to chat, we got, like I say, we got about uh, 12 minutes left of fun and excitement. Um, I'm so, had I known, I would have brought you on earlier with, with Tony, but uh, we were kind of compressed anyway uh, on time. But uh, welcome to the show. Thanks. Well, I'm glad to be here, Greg. And great work you're doing, always. Thank you. Do you know about our bills? Do you know about yeah. uh, our big tech bill and our, our vaccine bill? And, of course, Judy is our, our strongest proponent of the vaccine bill and the big tech bill. Yeah. I've been, I've been listening, and I've also been listening to the Matt Gates piece you were just talking about, which is also really interesting. And, um, and Judy and I have spent some time in that part of Florida, which is really interesting as well, where you are, I guess, right now. Where are you located, just out of curiosity, roughly? Well, I'm technically I live in Switzerland when I'm not um, when we're not traveling with Judy. <laughs> okay. Well, we have a Skype line, so you can call us from Switzerland. So just call me in advance, and right. then you can use the internet Skype line. <laughs> I would love to have some some Swiss yeah. correspondence. I love Switzerland. So Matt Gates, just to let folks know, uh, tonight he is doing a a town hall meeting, and he's going to take uh, you know questions from the audience. Of course, that includes me. That's at uh, five thirty Central Time tonight, and so I'm going to be bringing him our constitutional amendment. Uh, to take away the power of Congress to borrow money, because to me this is the only way I see out of this mess. So l- l- let's get Judy out of her out of her medical uh, comfort box here, and and uh, see if we can try something totally new for you. So here's here's what I'm proposing. I'm proposing that we change uh, the Constitution, delete the sentence that says Congress shall have the power to borrow money on the credit of the United States. Just get rid of that. So they have no power to borrow money. Uh, my contention is this will end. Uh, the national debt growing, obviously, because they can't borrow money. Uh, as the bonds are paid off, the national debt will go away. The interest on the national debt will go away. Inflation will be eliminated because inflation is based on borrowing, spending, and printing money. Um, the value of money will grow. The prices will drop. And there will be a massive transfer of wealth from the, the Fed, uh, which also gets eliminated in the bill because uh, I outlaw central banks. Uh, and the money will transfer from the, the, the big banks and the government back to the people as the money increases in value. Savings become stronger. 401ks become stronger. Uh, you know, your $5 items become 250 after a while. And just uh, you don't have to make the loans, so you don't have the interest payments. And everything's going to change if this passes. This is a fundamental change in our country. Back to our founding. So there's a little light topic for you, Judy, with 10 minutes left. <laughs> <laughs> what, I think what it's do you think? fun to talk about 
<laughs> well, I think it's more fun to talk about Johanna. You know, she's a literary agent with Waterside. So Tony mentioned all the censorship that we're getting and that you see simply can't do anything to get these New York Times bestsellers, you know, into airports, into libraries, into people's hands. So uh, Johanna's an agent for, for the writers. And so if they can't go through the portal directly, you can go through Johanna. Um, I will answer your question. Well, let's ask bit. about that. That's a great because question. Because, again, I think, yeah, I think, I think that it's important to, to, to change the laws. But, again, I think Bobby Kennedy and, and a true capitalist free market economy, um, mm-hmm. nothing about what's being done is, is lawful. And, therefore, if it's not lawful, you can't get it done otherwise. Here I am. Okay, so how do how do us folks get published out here? So I was I was asking Tony about this earlier. Now, I want to write another book uh, on what America would look like, you know, if we actually were using our founding principles. Uh, and so I'm not going to give away too mo- much of it on the air right now. But but uh, for us, for, you know, I've got one book out, the Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Uh, I'll be sending that to Tony also, but I'll send it to you too <laughs> because my my publisher I think is out of business. I can't reach them, and this is, I wrote it back in the '90s. Okay. Uh, and they've been stealing right. my ideas ever since. Yeah. So tell me what a literary agent does. What can you uh, – t- let's hear your story. Well, We've got a few minutes. Yeah, that's a great question. And, 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 by the way, it is kind of funny, but Tony and I have a little running joke because, um, you know, the community of authors who, who publish in this space where there is a lot of censorship, as Judy's talking about, you know, Skyhorse is a really strong publisher in this mm-hmm. space. There are a few others. Um, and so a lot of times people will end up going to Tony, and I'm like, Tony, hey. They can also have an agent, you know. <laughs> so, okay. Um, but what is what it? Agent, how would an agent yeah, help with, agent, with, with Sony, for example? Well, that, yeah, that's a great question. So what an agent does is I, I represent the author. The same way if you were selling your house, you might hire a realtor to help you sell your house. Um, my, my, my goal is to, is to make sure that the, that the author gets the best situation all around mm-hmm. for, for, you know, publishing the book, um, a, a publisher who is really excited about what they're doing is the right match, um, and it's going to market and you know and put publicity about the book out. And also, in, and in Judy's case and others, making sure the book is not censored. And you know, how can we get it into as many physical locations? And how do we get it as much visibility online? Um, and all of those things, because uh, with a lot of my clients, for example. It's just mm-hmm. about closing the deal, and then the publisher will sort of take over, and you know everything's fine. But with Judy and some of my other clients, um, there's a lot more involved in really being, uh, you know, as the agent, being a partner with like Tony, um, and you know, making sure that working together to do everything we can to keep those books in front of people. So, if you know a book's going to have uh, issues because of censorship, because of everything that's going on these days for something like Judy's books. Do you have a different plan of action? Do you know ahead of time you're going to have obstacles? And are you already selecting places where, say, Judy's books, for example, can be published? Yeah, I mean, yes. The answer is yes and and no. I mean, yes, we can anticipate some of the things, Mm -hmm. but we aren't always going to. For example, what happened with one of Judy's books was uh, it was originally called A Case Against Masks. And we had it on Amazon, and uh, Amazon literally scrubbed the book, meaning it was taken down completely. There was no, you couldn't search for it anymore. You couldn't see the reviews anymore. They literally just removed it from, from Amazon. 
so what what Tony did was he actually, you know, we we had to rename the book to trick the algorithms to put it back up. So um, it went. <laughs> I was wondering. If you, I was, that was my next question. Yeah. Did you did you find a way to get? Yeah. It to to okay. the truth about masks. So we had to literally give it a new title. Um, I mean, it it was a sort of creative solution, but those hmm. are the kind of things you you can't always anticipate that they're going to happen, but they do. So you know that's that's an example of you know of that. So, um, and the other thing we did is in anticipation for you know when um, ending plague was coming out, I believe, and you know plague of corruption was out, and we were already seeing the censorship. Is we decided you know Judy's going to these events, let's get the books at the events because that's also important. You know, okay. When people and yeah, with particularly with Judy because when she talks. Um, there's a lot to unpack, and if you don't go back and read the book, you're going to lose a lot of the context of what she's talking about, um, more so than a lot of other authors I work with. I mean, that, so that became important. So literally, you know, my husband and I, we loaded up our truck, and we just we got all the books, and we were, you know, on the road with Judy to make sure that when she shows up to talk that the books are there. So that, you know, Love that it. was a, a great, we were really grateful that we were able to kind of, help with that so um you know that's that's the other thing we're doing and we're actually working with tony to talk about some other models of getting the books and right now if you go to judy's website you can buy all the books there you can give it you want if you to, create, want to let's give her a website yeah it's the real dr judy.com and shop the real shop dot the real dr judy.com and all of her books are there, and the preferences, buy them through Judy's bookstore. We're trying to build parallel uh, supply chains where people can get completely off of Amazon. And sometimes you got to wait a few more days, and sometimes you might pay a couple of dollars more, but this model is, is viable, and as, you know, as a network and as a community, we're all, we're all working together to make that happen. What's the name of that network? Where do people find the alternative to Amazon? Well, I... I don't think the network itself has a name, but I would say, um, you know, to create this parallel economy, we, we need to do what we're doing right now with you and, you know, working with Judy, working with Skyhorse, working with all of the players who are, who are supporting the people who are being otherwise sort of kicked out or censored from, from the, you know, the Amazons and, the, and, and you know, the big box stores and the big publishers yeah, who won't publish like Judy. Yeah, I want to ask you a bit about that in a bit because that's uh, one of the uh, ways around mathcosis. It's uh, uh, we can we can actually go a little bit past the top of the air if you guys have time. But uh, truth, ridicule, and parallel structures and a parallel economy is a parallel structure that's critical for getting past mass psychosis. Um, Judy, question for you: When you write a book, do you ever think about I can't say this; they're going to censor me? I mean, I know the answer to this question already, but I want to ask you anyway. I mean, when you write. <laughs> When you write, do you, do you hold back at all? Do you care? Do you say this is the truth? Damn it, I'm going to tell them anyway. So, so here's my rhetorical question for, for today. Judy? Yeah, yeah. when, when I write, um, I, as from the beginning, since when I got out of jail, I was told I could talk to nobody but my lawyer and my husband uh, for five years, nothing about the subject. So Ken Lively called me and said, I'm a lawyer, as a lawyer. <laughs> He said, today I want to talk about day one in jail. He was my defense attorney. He interviewed everybody. He taped every word. That poor man taped every word I said for five years. 
He would, I would drive around in my car so my husband wouldn't have to hear it and me scream. I'd scream in one ear and his uh, Ken Heck and Lively severely injured daughter um, would scream in the other ear. She was younger. A lot, we were all a lot younger than 10, 12 years ago. And, mm-hmm. um, we just we just kept talking. Um, he turned it into to a book. He he transcribed every single legal transcript into a declaration. It can be notarized as an affidavit legally, presented to as I said earlier the Ninth Circuit Court, the FBI, all the lawyers. They've had that since May. They've had and it was all of it. It was the plague of corruption. It was ending plague. All we do is add real time how it changes. We have in the hopper. God wins. Um, stuff we left out of uh, of ending plague because uh, because we didn't know how it ends. Things like Louis Farrakhan um, and and the meeting that Bobby Kennedy, uh, Dr. Noen Schweiner, Dr. Jack Lyons Weiler, me, December 18, 2020, when he came to us, Tony Muhammad, the Nation of Islam, and said, "Is this vaccine good for my people?" And we gave we we just buried him for eight hours in science. What a beautiful man, Louis Farrakhan is. It just amazing he listened to us he he and and at the end of the day he said i heard you it's not the presence of a virus it's the expression and um and we have other treatments and we have ways to heal you know we may not have done much in the last five years but i think we saved five million followers from the nation of islam from being killed by that shot and they were that's fascinating i've never heard that story that nobody talks about that It'll be in the last book, honey. Um, so we okay. write the books and, and, and tape them and then and then finish writing them. So I I don't say whatever I want. Nothing in our books is my opinion. I tone down Kent because it, it's serious science. So I had right. to write, I believe, knowing full well it was true. And that was where I almost, I pulled it back in 2014. And Tony's not here anymore, but one of his uh, editors, Joe Sverchek, um, uh, it literally said, Judy, in my whole 30-whatever-year career, I've never seen anybody with any more reason to, to be angry. The jailing, the arrest, the career, the cancel, the murder of millions that they injured and you had to just sit there and do nothing. He said, but if nobody will understand this, they, nobody will understand a 53 year old woman being arrested. Just let the see now it changed everything. Plague of corruption was already there in 2014, August 31st, when I met um, 2014, this book plague wasn't even out yet. And I met Brian Hooker, and I saw William Thompson in one of the slides he was showing in Studio City at a meeting called Thrive by Dana Gorman and company in the autism community. And she, right there and then, he said, uh, what are we going to do about the problem in the black, with the blacks? In an email, he wrote Julie Gerberding, the head, the, then the head of the CDC, everyone, what are we going to do about the problem with the blacks? about that little problem that two to fourfold times more death, um, disease, autism, neurodevelopmental disorders. If you gave blacks, Hispanics, Native Indian, Indians um, the uh, MMR, three mRNA viruses, get a clue, folks, before they're three years old, before they have the detox machinery, before they're three years old. They have two to fourfold the likelihood of literally destroying their life. And they did it anyway. All they had to do with susceptible populations. I called Kent Eklund Lively. I said, okay, you win. It's a plague of corruption. 
and we started that book that day, and it didn't publish till April 14th of 2020. We talked about the horrifics of vaccine court as they, as they literally experimented on the injured, blamed the victims, um, you know, and nobody wins except we did all of those cases. And, and they're in the book, Plague of Corruption, and they'll be in our substack in complete detail. And I probably won't even redact them because the victims were, were harmed and, and they deserve um, to be named um, and, and shown for what they gave to this country because um, they never stopped. If they'd not shown those cases and taken the courage to go through that horrific process so we could see the injury. That's why we can save the folks. There is no drug shortage. We have a patent. We have a patent that says all you have to do is protect with botanicals. Phase one, phase two clinical trials. In the we is a company I consulted for, Omnitura Genius, G-E-N-Y-O-U-S, Chinese guys with a spelling problem. We started it in 2005. We've got the solutions right now and we can give them to the paid for them. We'll get our economy back because drugs won't cost anything, and people could actually be cured. Acidex, that's a prostate cancer drug. Protect it with a few herbs, a little bacon, a little scutellaria, a little cannabis, you know, literally. Build the platform for the person, for the individual, and cure everybody. And it's in the hopper ready to go. That'll balance our budget because we'll, HHS is one-third of it. Pay the victims. Pay the victims. For the crimes, everybody in this country gets a million dollars. That was that. That was the royalties. <laughs> Sound like fun? <laughs> Sounds fascinating. Yeah. Um, I, I've got a couple of questions for you. I was writing down as we go. Let me go to Johanna first in, in case she has a reaction to any of uh, uh, the, this, uh, this amazing uh, information you're sharing. Johanna, did you have a comment at all? Well, I mean, just overall, I mean, it's been it's been such an adventure working with Judy and. You know, um, and Ken. Tell them how much and, fun and, it was know. to get arrested. <laughs> what? What's that? Tell them how much fun it was to get arrested last week, and the books on the Constitution <laughs> fall out of the car. <laughs> we do carry a lot of books in the car, and mm-hmm. we just had picked up in Phoenix, and we had shipped to her house a few copies of the Constitution that we were mailing out, and um, we got pulled over. Uh, between not Mexico but New Mexico and Texas, uh, driving across the border. I guess they had some dogs, and Judy had some of her really nice CBD products in the car, and um, <laughs> the dogs didn't like that. So they took us all in and put us in a little white detainment room and read us our rights, and we're about to arrest Judy, but we we were uh, we we you know. We got out, but we uh, we did lose the Constitution out of the side of the car when they brought the dog in to, to sniff it down. So, <laughs> we well, at least you shared the Constitution. That's a good thing. That's fascinating. Uh, Judy That's mentioned right. something on a previous right. uh, previous show. That, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, China. I didn't mean to jump in there. Well, no, and it's just interesting because you've got these young people on the border who are part of the Homeland Security, and you see they really don't know the Constitution. I mean, they were telling us things like this is a Texas federal law, and, you know, that, and that you know, cannabis is a, a felony to cross the border. Well, we're like, which is it? Is it a federal law? Is it a, is it a state Texas law? So those are the kind of things they obviously don't know. <laughs> Well, you know, it would be interesting. That, that gives me an idea for a bill to uh, require a certain level of constitutional understanding of our federal officers. You'd think you wouldn't have to do that. Listen, I was briefly in law enforcement. 
you know, after 9-11, I wanted to, you know, serve my country because I, I didn't, uh, I wasn't in the military and I came from Canada to Australia to here. So I was, I grew up in three different countries. So I was one very confused youngster. But uh, by the time uh, 9-11, I wanted to do something. And one of the things I found was how little um, knowledge the, the federal officers have or, or spend time training in the Constitution. This is not there. They, yeah. they, they get trained in their enforcement yeah. and the, the laws that they're going to be applying and things like that. But a lot of them had no uh, – one guy in particular said, well, I just want to take all the guns away because you know, government officials are the only people that should have guns. I said, you just violated the oath that you took when you took this job. I said, are you going to resign now? What are you talking about, man? Yeah. You know, it's like, you idiot. <laughs> you know, but these are the people that are, that are federal officials. They don't know the Constitution. The military doesn't know what they're fighting for. You know, I had to, I found a, right. a book, there was a book that was written, uh, Eisenhower, I think, commissioned it for the troops in World War II, uh, and it described fascism and Nazism and communism and freedom and, and free markets and our, our constitutional republic. And I wish I could find a copy of it. I lost mine. But there was a book that was written for the soldiers that, uh, so they knew exactly what they were fighting for. I don't think that exists today. Yeah, let's see if, let's see if you can find that book, Greg, and we'll get it in the bookstore. I, it was something I found in a YouTube store, and this is probably back in New England, and since my move between California yeah. and here, you know, this is like 30, 40 years ago. Uh, it wouldn't be that hard. I bet you, you could find it. Uh, it would be, it was a pre-World War II or like 19, somewhere between maybe like 38 and 41 that was written, um, or maybe even right at the beginning of World War II, for soldiers. It was a gray book, and it was about an inch thick. And it, re- and it had pictures and stuff. Mostly it, was, it just described our founding, our founding documents. It described what, what America was, what it meant in the world, you know, what a republic is. Yeah. And then it went into the, the enemy philosophies. You know, and it talked about uh, communist Russia and Nazi Germany and fascist Italy and what they stood for. So, so the soldiers who – go so ahead. The, yeah, so one of the, I'll just tell you quickly. One of the projects that Tony and I are working on, kind of we have this, this sort of – project idea which is taking books that have gone out of print um there's a there's a book i found on amazon i bought like a decade ago on forbidden medicine and now i can't even find the people who wrote it and that's just so we're looking for books uh that we can republish through through skyhorse so if well a book it's funny like you should that, say that <laughs> funny you should say that i just happen yeah. to have one <laughs> you know um oh, i wrote a book great. And, and I told Tony about this earlier, but you, I think you missed this part. So I wrote a book in 1992 yeah. after a couple of years of flight instruction. I was, I was a flight instructor, and I realized there were massive problems with the flight instruction system. And so I experimented with my students, and I tried new things, and I eventually came up with an entirely new way to teach flying that worked. And then I published all this in a book called The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. It's a terrible title. I've always hated it. I wanted something dramatic. That's not dramatic. Um, but uh, my, my publisher, Rainbow Books in Lakeland, Florida, uh, that's what they insisted. I said, okay, I, I can give you that. At least they let me you know, write everything I wanted in the book. Uh, so there was no editing there. But uh, it was not that well received by you know, AOPA, which is like the NRA of, of aviation. Uh, the book reviewer called it a worthless diatribe of my own opinions. And then they proceeded to steal my ideas for the next 30 years. <laughs> so we're coming, you know, we're coming up on, on the 30-year anniversary. Um, it's, it's, it's different. It's not like, like Judy's books. It's not, you know, we're talking major medical, things like that. It's flying. But I know that most of the deaths and accidents that are caused uh, by private, you know, small aircraft, I believe most of them are preventable, just like COVID deaths were mostly preventable because we don't train pilots properly. So that's why I wrote the book. So there's something, if you're interested, obviously we can talk off the air, but uh, for someone like me, is this, you know, for anybody that has a book a little different, a little controversial, goes against the, the orthodoxy, you know, is that, are you the folks that we should talk to? 
Yeah, absolutely. And we're actually working with a, a major university in Tennessee right now to put together a speaker series with mm. Judy. And one of the things that they have is a is a flight school. So this could be definitely of interest to their uh, to their program. So yeah. we should definitely talk more. This is fun. Judy, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate the connection. Yeah, this is great. Well, uh, yeah, you know, this, it's is, this is fun. <laughs> yeah, it really is. No, I'm serious because uh, one of the books that inspired me to write my book was Wolfgang Langevich's Stick and Rudder. And so, of course, both of you should take a flying lesson because uh, everybody should take at least one. But uh, Stick and Rudder was published in the 40s, and he was controversial, and he said a bunch of things that, you know, that if the people actually read that book, they would know how an airplane really flies. I used that to modify my flight training system, and I started teaching things, you know, as to why an airplane really flies. And I realized that the FAA was lying. And I, so, and then I went to, I found some uh, uh, really bright guys. I and mean, we're talking, you know, genius level at uh, the NASA Ames Research Center, which happened to be, you know, in, in the south of San Francisco uh, at Moffett Field. And I actually got to talk to these guys and they told me, yeah, I said, well, we lied to pilots because we don't think they can understand this stuff. I said, well, why don't we try telling them the truth? And of course, that's what I do in my book, you know, based on expert scientists. I mean, I, I really did follow the science. So I went to the Judy Mikovits of aviation, <laughs> you know, and said, what's going on, guys? <laughs> and but it's, but and it how'd, that, wasn't how'd that work out for you? Your book's not sold. <laughs> well, no, they, they, uh, they wouldn't publish, they wouldn't review it. You know, they, yeah, exactly. well, I got it published. You got but, the Judy uh, Mikovits response. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. You're crazy. <laughs> we're we're going to stick to what kills people because it works. I mean, what? <laughs> you know, well, yeah. I can't, I can't, I can't imagine another group as important as scientists and doctors who mm-hmm. should be properly educated than pilots. Well, thank you. Well, no, it's interesting. The, the commercial yeah. pilots are pretty well, pretty well trained. I mean, I, I don't have a flaw, a fault with the commercial pilots or the military pilots. They're really well trained. My problem is the private pilots, you know, and there's, especially hopefully we're getting, you know, less expensive aircraft. There'll be more of them. But the, the guys that fly, well, I shouldn't say guys, but, you know, the people that fly 50, 60 hours a year, which is terrible. Um, the people that uh, fly solo, and most commercial operations are two pilots. Um, we had a guy flying solo who, who uh, crashed his Cessna. Oh, Judy, let me ask you this question. What do you think the chances that uh, a COVID shot was responsible for that pilot being incapacitated in the Cessna citation that crashed in Washington over the weekend, um, and the fact that he didn't have a co-pilot, which he didn't have to. It was a single-pilot airplane, but I always think it's a good idea when, when you're in a jet to have somebody else there, especially younger. So I'm just speculating on this. What do you think? Absolutely, that the, the pilot was known to be shot and boosted, and and oh, that's was. the biology. That's okay. the biology of the data that we know. You can't mm-hmm. go up in the air under oxidative stress, and and not have incidences. That's why we say take cardio miracle and 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 nitric oxide boost um, in at nitric boost algae. There are several products. Get it in mm-hmm. the planes. They've got to have these things so when those ischemic, lack of oxygen, hypoxia, lack of oxygen, when that happens, you've got to be able to to respond and quickly. And there, the pilot was unresponsive. That's what the plane, you know, of course he was. I, I, I knew that. I heard that. Um, yeah, I think, I think every one of the passengers and people who take those um, take another pilot. I, I actually have never flown in, in a, any kind of plane w- without a, a co-pilot, um, even if it was flown, you know, by a pilot. I'll find a friend who's a pilot and get in the front seat like my friend mm-hmm. on self. Yeah. 
Yeah, especially a, a, a pilot without a COVID shot. Um, but uh, well, we remember when we talked first, and you didn't know this, which was kind of interesting, um, that uh, the airplanes are pressurized to 8,000 feet. They're not pressurized to sea level. So if you're up 35,000 feet, your cabin pressure is 8,000, which is about 15% oxygen, as opposed to sea level, which is about 22%. You're, 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 you're like you're it's on a top of a mountain, and what happens when, yeah. when you go ski? The first day, yeah. you're confused. You have a headache. You might even have a migraine. So you would mm-hmm. take something like Diamox. That's an altitude sickness, and it plugs up a leak in a, in a channel. So we know how all these things work. So, yeah, we can prevent a lot of these things. Do you think pilots should be screened? I mean, I know we're off topic here, but we're sort of over time, too. I appreciate both of you sticking around. But should pilots be screened for, for blood clots, for, for vaccine injury before being allowed to fly? Should the FAA be changing their procedures? No, because that, that discriminates against them, and the FAA did that. See Josh okay. Yoder and the Freedom. Absolutely not. We do not discriminate. We have the prevention strategies. We get it on these planes, and the FAA pays for it. The FAA pays to have this stuff on these planes. We know how to fix this. We can bring them back very quickly. No, okay. they don't. They're not. The pilots not discriminated against. The people who perpetrated the crime, the FAA, the federal government, we need, you know, not only to bully the bullies, but they pay for it. Pay for Cardio Miracle, pay for nitric oxide supplements to be not, not defibrillators in our schools, on the football fields, everywhere. No more Gatorade, folks. You know, Cardio Miracle, these proline greens, the things that we have that can heal people. They've, done, they've healed them, bring them back. The, the pilot should be pr- protected, and the, and the pilot should be healed and given every kind, given, 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 not pay, 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 no more. The people that perpetrated these crimes, and I'm calling out the FAA because I know them, and, and it's their crimes. It's what they've done, and it's not just COVID. They've done it for 30 years. They've been shooting the, the FAA agents and inoculating them, and they knew what they were doing. Yeah, that's interesting. The last thing I want to do is discriminate against pilots, but I was trying to figure a way that they could you know, so get healthy again so they can you know, go fly. Single pilot operations, though, it's legal. Uh, I don't think it's, it's smart necessarily, especially for jets. You know, I, I want to be able to fly my own jet, but uh, if I'm going someplace over distance, I'm probably going to bring another pilot, you know, some young hotshot that wants some, some free jet time, uh, especially as I get older. I mean, I'm 63 now, so I figure, you know, 20 years from now, I'm probably going to have a co-pilot with me every flight once I reach over 80. That only makes sense. But there's always this discretion, discretion between what we make legal and what we just do because it makes sense. And so that's always a, that's a good criteria, a good place to draw the line. Okay. Wow. Um, you mentioned, Judy, the, uh, there was a parallel. We're talking about speed, parallel structures again. There's a, there's a new medical group that you're starting, Global Medical something or other. You talked about it last time you were on. What's uh, it called? It's called GlobalTechMD.com, GlobalTechMD.com. Okay. And basically it was a bunch of guys that in this crisis, MDs, um, uh, I, I think uh, uh, Lance and Henry and others, I don't learn last names, as they know, so I can't <laughs> lie when they arrest me. Uh, I don't know. It's that, guy named, that guy named Lance. <laughs> yeah, and, Anyway, um, so they started, yeah. there were about 5,000 doctors. They started an organization called GlobalTechMD.com, and you could call mm-hmm. a, a acute call-in center during 2021 and 2022 and, and get help right away so you didn't get, have to go to the hospital and get a death camp. Doctors like Stella Emanuel were there. Um, 
uh, and and me and others, um, I, I believe even people like Peter McCullough uh, joined and other organizations. Um, okay. We saw 17,000 doctors in the global health on the high wire yesterday. I put those two together. So globally, doctors who, and an organization, alternate health plans. And we also set up an academy with Johanna's help in the, in the teaching world, as she just mentioned, um, a speaker series. We, we set up the Academy of Abiding Wellness. Um, we're mm. going to reteach doctors biology. We're going to reteach doctors. And if you join any of these things um, in your probationary period, if you will, you agree not to give shots. So you agree never to give a shot, and we'll show you oral and um, and mucosal immunization strategies. Like I would just say everybody's worried about HIV AIDS. Well, turn on your TV, and you'll see at least five commercials for new drugs like Discovy, Genvoya. Um, they had a new one on Canuva the other night. Oh, that's HIV um, treatment strategies, and your copy number, your 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 quantity of virus in your blood is undetectable, so you won't shed or spread HIV. Well, you just injected 50 million Americans. I don't even know how many people with HIV. That's what the bioweapon was. That's the end terminus. That's one of the parts, main parts of the spike protein is the GP120, the glycoprotein. It sticks together. It fuses mm. cells with the other ones in citrin. Ah, so we can use the drugs, and I've been doing it for a decade or more. We can use the drugs we made at the National Cancer Institute that actually can be used low dose and stop not only the cancer associated that the HIV AIDS development, but the cancers mm-hmm. that we're seeing in the explosion. Oh, now we just call it turbo cancer. No, it's not turbo. You injected and poisoned the people you knew exactly what would happen because that's the 40 years of true research that they've censored, but we still have the solution. So you give them the solution. They're in the freezer. <laughs> that's the last chapter of, of Plague of Corruption. Yeah, we saved them all. The taxpayers already paid for them all. And we'll give them to you. That's what Global Tech MD, the Academy of Abiding Wellness, will teach doctors how to use those and, and how to how to think differently. And um, we got Lynn Lafferty, other doctors. When I go with Johan and Rich, I'm looking I'm looking for the doctors. That's how we brought you Dr. Jim Thorpe, Dr. Deborah Viglione, Sally Saxon, and that beautiful book they wrote is is in our get health. Well, they're my neighbors. I mean, they're they're the next town over, so they're they're local to me, so that helps too. That's how I get to meet them. Right. Well, but yeah. my visit through that tour, if we weren't oh, talking to each other, if yeah. we weren't on the Save a Generation tour with Robin Openshaw and others, you know, we wouldn't have met each other because Carrie Madey, me, Dr. Peter McCullough, others, mm-hmm. we were just, we were all there. Jeff Childers, the, the lawyer with uh, his, He's been on his too. Yeah. I know Jeff. Yeah. What fun is that? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, we're planning to move there. Or we're thinking about it. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, love to have you. It'd be great fun. We could do rallies all the time. But uh, well, so here's a question for you. So Jeff Childers was on. He went to the, the rally in, in Atlanta. Uh, Steve Hirsch, uh, I used to text you know, fairly regularly. Uh, he knows about our vaccine product liability bill. So Steve Hirsch puts on this huge conference in Atlanta on uh, vaccine liability and refuses to consider our vaccine liability bill. There's, there's a disconnect. I want Johanna's opinion on this too. They don't understand citizen legislation. So if you want someone to speak about it, I, I would offer my services as the creator of the Action Radio Citizen Legislature, but they don't get it yet. You do. How come you get it? 
How come you see the power of regular people writing legislation and all these other folks that they just, you know, Peter McCullough's been on the show, Robert Malone's been on the show, you know, Ed Dowd's been on the show, all these folks have been on the show, and you're the only one that takes it to every single conference and says, we can stop these people. We can put, and Ed Dowd even said on my show, you know, that if we get vaccine liability. Yeah, go ahead, Joanna. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, as a student of Judy, I'm, 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 you know, it takes a while sometimes to understand exactly what she's saying. But, you know, one of the things that she's been saying a lot lately is we don't want to go back to 1986. Mm-hmm. And, you know, an example of this is yesterday an article came out on Epoch Times that said, and I'm sure this is sort of in response to Bobby Kennedy running for president, Trump said, mm-hmm. I'm going to start investigating why there's this incredible rise yep. in autism and it's chronic yep. disease. And I, I saw the report. Judy, I wrote to Clay. Yeah, and I saw that. I sent that to Clay and I said, Clay Clark, by the way, and I said, hey, you know, somebody should remind Trump that this research has already been done. It's not mm-hmm. about doing the research. It's about getting it out from censorship and getting it back into where it belongs. And, you know, this mm. is what Judy and I were talking about, Jim Thorpe, and maybe we start getting his uh, publication to to run some of the research that's been that the trash cans at the CDC when, you know, Brian Hooker and William Thompson, they had all that research on the, the, the um, fourfold more likelihood of autism with black boys if they take the shot before they're three. So all of this stuff is, is already done. The research is already done. So your point about Steve Kirsch, it's like there's this new generation of people who are all of a sudden thinking, oh, we need to research all this or we need to learn all this. No, it's already been done. They mm-hmm. just need to come to the right people like Judy to learn to learn the truth that's already there. So it is yeah, interesting I, uh, that they won't listen still because it's almost like they're playing catch-up to try to understand when really it's all there already. Well, yeah, and I feel well, exactly the same way. Uh, my, my bill on vaccine product liability, Judy was on the show for the, the two-year anniversary. My bill was out before the first vaccine mandate. We could have stopped all this nonsense. Judy. Yeah, and I'm thinking, why don't you put a class in the Academy of Abiding Wellness? That's what we're doing. Put it in such a way that you educate them and they can read it real time. We'll pop it on the realdrjudy.com. See, people don't understand because their minds are frozen and they're, they're, you know, in fear and they're running from one release to another and they don't realize it's already been injected and you've already survived. All you have to do is realize that and that's what they don't want you to know. And every bit of scientific data that, that has been like that. This is what I'm saying. It's all in the freezer. They tried to get Frank Rossetti and I to throw it away like William Thompson style to burn the samples and create, you know, the autoclave out the cell lines manufacturing the viruses. And we refuse to do it. That's why I say it's in the freezers. So we have absolute proof of what they did. So as quickly as they can, they take all the old data. They censored my paper. They censored Frank Rossetti's entire line of work. They don't fund the grants, and then they turn around and they publish it with the exact opposite conclusion. So what we're teaching is we're teaching people how to read scientific papers because, you know, cardiologists, I don't know Peter's language, McCullough's, and he doesn't know mine. Um, We're trying to learn each other's, but, but if we can 
if we can go to conferences and synergize like we used to and have discussions and teach where doctors are teachers. Doctors aren't healers. That's up to the that's up to the practitioners. Doctors, especially PhDs, are teachers. My job is to teach Peter McCullough how to and then he he gives the patient confidence. And and they're mm-hmm. wonderful at it. You know I don't know how to talk to a patient. They look at me and they're like, What? <laughs> well, well but, I mean, Judy, every time you I talk would... it's a biochemistry lesson. I mean it's just, you know, this is why I, I hate to do it because uh, but uh, you know, when 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 you get going, it's fascinating. I, you should just like record yourself, just carry a record, just, just talk and you can make a whole audio book just you know before breakfast. You know, it's fascinating listening to you. And Heck and Lively did that for five years and hopefully <laughs> he'll survive it. <laughs> Well, we've got, uh, remember the transcript that we were talking about transcribing, uh, transcribing? In fact, Johanna, we have what we call the World's Greatest Doctors Panel. So for 18 weeks, and I've got all the links, I can send them to you. Uh, we had Judy, we had uh, um, Brian Artis was on, Ben Marble was on, until he got a little too controversial, which is hard to do my show. Um, Jim Thorpe was on, different guests, Debbie Leon dropped in a bunch of times, Priscilla Romans from Grace Care, all kinds of different folks. We even had... Uh, uh, Gregory Wrightstone from the CO2 Coalition comparing, you know, climate change lies to COVID lies. And it's pretty much the same strategy. Um, but we have this entire library of, of fascinating discussions of three hours of the world's greatest doctors. Uh, and John Collins, too, who I haven't been able to reach since we did this, but um, uh, they're all there. And is that something, uh, Judy well, or Johanna, we could transcribe maybe into a book or an audio book? Just put them all together yeah. somehow? Yeah, uh- well, a book, and let me just expand a little bit on the other piece Judy's talking about. So in addition okay. to being Judy's literary agent, my husband and I have a, an education platform. It's called mm-hmm. ODEM, O-D-E-M, it stands for On Demand Education Marketplace, dot mm-hmm. I-O. And what we're really building uh, since we've been hanging out with Judy and on the road the last year all over the country is, is sort of the Noah's Ark of education. In other words, all the things you're talking about, um, getting them into books and getting them into an educational format where people can come and learn, you know, in bite-sized pieces is, mm-hmm. is also what we're doing. Actually, after I get off this call, I have a call with Mark Fincham. I don't know if he's been on your show or you know who he is. He's the, he ran for Secretary of State under Kerry Lake in Arizona. So yes, I have uh, not had him on the show. The, yeah. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll, we'll make that happen. And so he's, oh, um, he's doing – Academy called the um, Election Fairness Institute, where he's teaching people how do elections really work? Um, uh-huh. You know, what are the civics of our Constitution as it relates to the states and who has the authority to do what? Because from what Mark is saying, there's a lot of things going on in Arizona that are just not even legal in terms of what they're, what they're doing uh, with, you know, as he calls her, the woman who occupies the ninth floor. <laughs> So, um, yeah. I'd love to have so, one, but we have, have a, we actually have an election yeah. bill. We have an election integrity bill. Uh, I had Wendy Rogers on the show. Yeah. She was she was great. But uh, we have a bill that's that we're trying to get for for Florida for the counties for the state. It's all paper ballots. It's uh, hand counts. Yeah. It's bonded counters. Yeah. It's videotape counting. And my addition to it uh, was that all voter registrations expire December thirty first at midnight. So everybody re-registers every year or registers every year. And that cleans the voter yeah, rolls automatically. The, yeah, no discrimination yeah. involved. It's like your car. Why should you know, we register our car yeah. every year? And so you register to vote every year. Now, That's if your right. information is the same, you haven't moved, you can probably do it online. But if anything's changed, you have to go in person with your proof of citizenship. Thank you very much. And, uh, re- and register. 
So that's what go. we have. Yeah. See, we're way ahead. We, it's like Judy. The studies have been done. It's like with me. The bills, yeah. we've already written them. We, we already had them out there. You know, we, we've got the we've got the strategies. You know, we know how to end big to tech censorship. Yeah. Right. Well, exactly. well, here's some of you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I'm getting a little over enthusiastic. No, here. you go ahead. <laughs> okay. One thing you'll find with our legislation uh, that's different than anything else you'll read in law is that our bills are incredibly easy to understand. They are single subjects. They are generally five lines of law change, but I can change the world in five lines. You know, I was mentioning our, our constitutional amendment to get rid of uh, Congress's borrowing money. That basically takes one line out of the Constitution, 10 words. You know, our vaccine bill is about three lines from vaccine manufacturers shall not be liable to shall be fully liable. It's about three or four words that change. That's it. So most of the big changes in law are you don't need a law degree. You don't have to be a genius. You, you, can, be, you can be a medical genius and still read my, my legal stuff. Like Judy, who got it immediately, you know, and had, maybe has no experience in, in legal stuff. But yeah. that's how they're weaponizing these bills now. Is they're they're mm-hmm. doing the opposite. They're making the bills like six, seven thousand, you know, pages long, mm-hmm. so that as a congressman or as a senator, you literally don't have time to read them to 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 weigh in, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to change that. But, uh, you know, so much has already been done. But, again, it still gets back to the basic thing uh, that people don't understand. And what they don't understand, they don't accept. And even though I had a vaccine bill, I I wasn't invited to the Atlanta conference. In fact, I have not been invited to a conference. I just kind of show up, (laughs) you know. But I'm hoping that changes because citizen legislation, I believe, is the strongest force out there because anybody can understand it. When the deep state realizes what we're doing, you think I'm banned now. It's going to get worse. It's going to get a lot worse because – with citizen legislation, we can take away their power. We can take away their budgets. We can take away their authority. The, the only thing that's transparent that's left, the only thing that can't be stolen are the laws themselves because they have to be on the books because they have to be able to be used for, for Congress and for uh, the courts and everything else. So they can make them, they can obscure them. They can put a bunch of stuff down. But if we can get laws passed that are simple and easy to understand, everybody's going to get it. They can't that's right. just change the law books. You know, it's the last transparent avenue, I think, left. The ballots are gone. You know, the politicians belong to the parties and belong to the donors. You know, the media belongs to mostly the Democrat Party, but they belong to someone else or a large corporation. So the laws themselves are the only thing left. That's why I made the decision 10 years ago to uh, create a system to change the laws. There you go. Yeah. I I don't know. I think we've covered everything. (laughs) Judy, have we left anything out? Yeah, in, invitations are overrated. Uh, you know, sometimes just showing up is a lot more fun. I mean, we've gotten to know over the last few months since we first met January 28th, we, we've gotten to know um, Steve Kirsch and, as I mentioned earlier, Ed Dowd. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and when you're in the room, not online, not in a subset, mm-hmm. when you're in the room, it just you realize these are real people and they just, they're like me. They're a fire hose. They just want to talk. They just, as, as Johanna said, they just, they just woke up to this. And Steve asked me at, at the table, we were um, all at the premiere of um, uh, Plandemic 3 um, mm-hmm. last week in Austin. And, and he just asked me at the table at dinner. He's like, really? You know, and they <laughs> just can't come. This. And I'm like, yeah. And, but then when they know it and you show it to them and, and they're like, okay. And then they, you know, they go, we go home and we process it all, you know, just watching yeah. that movie, watching plandemicseries.com or plandemic3.com, you know, the great awakening, watching it and realizing 
you know, the, the most amazing thing about it is, number um, one, the reason it will probably be very successful, I'm not in it. But, but what that says is all of the shenanigans have been happening for decades. It doesn't even imply a vaccine. Not only does it not mention, but it doesn't imply. It just shows you all the drug crimes. It shows you, you know, Fauci, Dr. Fascist, and everything he did with AZT poisoning, remdesivir poisoning. It never was about a shot. It was always about an agenda, a, a diagnostic, a test that makes billions for the investor that has nothing to do with a disease. So we're all treating tests, and now we're starting to wake up to that. It's fun. It's so much fun because it, it takes him a minute. So Steve will, but he's always very gracious and he just, he listens. And and so sometimes I fire a hose and he walks away, but that's because he's too much for both <laughs> Ask him people. to cover my bill. Ask him to cover our bills. Same as Del Bigtree. Del Bigtree, you've been on Dell's show, I don't know how many times. He's never talked about our, our, our bills. And he could, but this is what we need. We need all these folks talking about him and sending well, links to Congress and media. Yeah, getting you on the highway to talk about these bills and how simple they need to be and how, you know, how much impact that can have. And, you know, the difference between the 6,000-page bills and the changing a few sentences. And, and the one-page bill, you know, <laughs> you know, right? including the explanation. Right? Yeah. How much power <laughs> people really have, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is why I write them. Let me get one more question, and I think we should probably end it. We've uh, got to the top of the hour, but I want to thank you folks for staying longer. Um, Judy, what's the next pandemic? What, what have they got in store for us, and, and how can we uh, you know, pre, you know, preemptively strike back? I told you, never again. If you're listening to me, if you're, if you're on the high wire, if you're in childrenshealthdefense.org, um, you don't have time to watch the fake news. So they can release it tomorrow, and we're all happy in our parties in our backyards enjoying our day, and we don't turn on the poison. We don't turn on the television so they can't lie to us, and they have not. Oh, we released it last week. Oh, yeah, it didn't hurt anybody. Remember monkeypox? We stopped mm-hmm. that pretty quickly. Just talk mm-hmm. over. I can I can use this fire hose when I need it. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, that sounds good. I just figured I'd uh, I get a, a premature strike, you know, because I love to uh, make fun of people. It's the quickest way to, to destroy them. That's why we call them Doctor Fascist. Uh, so, Johanna, just well, to give it's you, Ebola. Go ahead. It's uh-huh. Ebola, and he tried it in 2014. And the book right. is called "Called for Life" by Kenton Amber Brantley. He released mm-hmm. it on Sierra Leone to cover up William Thompson in the confession and, and uh, right there with Obama leading the way. <laughs> and and, and uh, Dr. John, the head of the Christian missionary team that were helping them with the Bill Gates vaccines, um, said, ah, it was clear that the Ebola was aerosolized, that it spread through the air. And he said, ah, we got that. Saline infusion, prayer, a dark room, and um, make him a bat, a big flying rat, um, and, mm-hmm. and uh, hydroxychloroquine. And there you are, that we stopped um, Fauci, uh, <laughs> fascists in his tracks, um, in his tracks um, in five weeks. So we cured AIDS in a decade, solved CFS in five years, start to finish, MECFS, mm-hmm. done, start to finish, in five weeks in 2014 that's how powerful information is yeah did anybody uh who was in moderately good health 
who got either ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, zinc, you know, vitamin D3, vitamin C. Did any of those folks uh, um, die of their of their hydroxychloroquine or zinc or ivermectin? Absolutely not. And as Jim Thorpe said, absolutely safe in pregnancy. And this is yeah. so important for what we're seeing now. And in fact, yep. not only not in good health, but the sickest of the sick are still here because yeah. of that, unless they murdered them, unless they murdered them. So, yeah, we can heal cancer with ivermectin. Everybody who calls me said, oh, wait a minute, I just got diagnosed with turbo cancer. Ivermectin, proline greens, cardio miracle. Call me a couple weeks, you'll be fine. <laughs> and a, and a little <laughs> cannabis, but they took that out of our car. And a little well, cannabis. <laughs> no, you can, we'll you, get it you done. Should make we'll a, get it done. You make, a, make a recording on MP3. I'll upload it. I'll play it every day. Uh, if you want to make a spot for yourself on the show. So just, uh, just, just what you said, you know, cardio miracle, proline green, uh, a little cannabis. And what was the rest of it? <laughs> you know, and then just Ivermectin. the website. Ivermectin, 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 Ivermectin. That's okay, it, right. end your turbo cancer, uh, uh, nutritional deficiency solved. That's what cancer is. We're, we're poisoning people. See my talk on our website from the truth about cancer, October 24th or so of 2021. It it shows you everything straight from Johns Hopkins, straight from the papers. Yeah. They hammered us after that truth about cancer meeting. They got us, you know, they tried to censor us, but thanks to Ty and Charlene Bollinger, we just, none of us will give up. We just get creative and find another way to say it. Sounds good to me. Um, Johanna, anything else you want to add before we uh, end our fun for today? Oh, I, I'm I'm uh, I'm grateful to have to have dialed in and been part of the conversation. Thank you, Greg. Oh, you're welcome. So uh, I'll ask you to forward your email to me. I won't mention it on the air uh, unless you want to, if you have a public yeah. one. But I'll send you some stuff, and then we'll uh, we'll okay. communicate. I'll, I'll send you. Actually, I have uh, I did a thing with uh, Christian Elliott that really outlines everything with Action Radio and our bills and everything. I can send that to you, and, and that you know might be able to be shared or a talk. I'm available. I'm happy to teach a legislative workshop anywhere right. since Let's, I kind of invented the system. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And Judy's right. This could be a great class teaching people about all this. So we can happy, talk about happy that. To, happy to do so. This has been so cool. Judy, thanks for calling okay. in. I appreciate it, okay. as always. Okay. And Johanna, Thank too. Thank you. Okay. All right. Take care. Okay, guys. All right. Thanks, Greg. So you're very welcome. And thank you, Judy, as always. Um, so just this is it for today. And I'll be back Monday. I'm going to be taking on this uh, Supreme Court case where they screwed up once again. Uh, it seems to be a pattern <laughs> with the Supreme Court. But uh, the site you're listening to, uh, blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. Um, our legislative site is writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. My information, my articles are at gregpenglis.substack.com. Uh, contributions go to givesendgo.com slash action radio. And my public email uh, is greg at at writeyourlaws.com. A couple more announcements to play and then our closing uh, concert piece um, for, for Fridays. And I'll be back Monday morning at 7 a.m. Central Time where we do it all again. This is Greg Penglis for Strikeforce, your source for pure energy. Strikeforce is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code, W-Y-L, to the discount code window at checkout. W-Y-L comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, 
and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engines. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend Jason Myers and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. <laughs> 